Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening. My guest today has seen an immense amount of hardship. You wouldn't know it by his credentials, but he has experienced poverty, racism, violence, and an immense amount of doubt. His parents immigrated here from Fiji, both brought an amazing work ethic that is hard to comprehend. His father worked two jobs concurrently, from 7.30am to 3.30, then from 3.30 to midnight. My guest worked incredibly hard to get to the position that he's in today. He is a fully licensed lawyer and accountant. He created his own business called Alpine Legal Services, where he puts his accounting skills, marketing skills, business skills, and legal skills together to offer a phenomenal services. Without further ado, please give it up for my guest, Chanel Prasad. And we're live. Chanel Prasad, would you mind giving a brief introduction of yourself? All right. So yeah, my name is uh, Chanel. I'm a lawyer out here in Chilliwack. I have my own practice, uh, Alpine Legal Services. Just moved out here last October and started out my firm in November, so last November. But prior to that, myself and my fiance were both working out here for a couple of years and decided that Chilliwack would be the, the place to, to be for us, right? Just checked off all the boxes. So I said, you know what? Let's plant some roots here, set up shop here, and call this place a new home. Awesome. So, yeah, and then through my practice, I um, practice in the areas of real estate law, wills and estates law, and business law. So those are my three practice areas, and I don't do litigation, so purely a solicitor's practice. Right now, it's just myself. I'm the only only lawyer, but my, my focus is to basically do things differently, right? So that's kind of the whole goal is, you know, law is always considered, you know, very old school kind of profession, very slow to change. And there's reasons for that, because with change comes a lot of risk. And risk is something that lawyers obviously don't like, especially risks for themselves, their business, and their clients, right? So for example, technology, right? A lot of lawyers are kind of hesitant to embrace technology because with that comes, well, first of all, they don't understand it and don't have the time to necessarily go ahead and figure it out to understand it. But second of all, uh, what if client data gets breached? What if we lose everything? What if all the data gets wiped out, right? So they're hesitant to, you know, trust uh, new technologies or necessarily embrace them because of the risk involved. But for myself, you know, I do have a background in technology as well. So I feel more comfortable, you know, using technology and understanding the risks and trying to mitigate those risks. So I figured, you know, if I, if I have that background, I have that experience, I have that unique skill set, why not set up a practice where, you know, I can make things more efficient, more streamlined. And with that comes cost savings, time savings, and then pass that off onto the clients, right? And run a very lean, efficient business model and build it from there. Right. That is so, so interesting. I cannot wait to get into this. Tell yeah. us a little bit about Alpine Legal Services. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so with, I guess I'll start with the name Alpine Legal Services. Right. So people call me and they, they don't know if I'm a law firm, a notary firm, like they're kind of confused. Right. It, it's intentional because it, it's, it's a new way of branding. So from my experience, you, you have a lot of uh, law firms and they go for, you know, last name and last name, LP and company or lawyers and it, that, that kind of language intimidates clients i find right where they feel like oh, okay if i call this firm i'm gonna have to pay a lot of money to talk to them they get intimidated off the bat they just don't feel comfortable right so my thing is i want to create a brand that feels more approachable and that's something that i think the notaries and their marketing and their branding 
for the longest time, they've had that where they're more approachable in that sense, right? It's the marketing, right? Where people always think about, hey, I should go to my notary for you know a real estate transaction or whatnot, right? But as a lawyer who also practices in the area, you want to be more approachable, right? So I figured with my branding, with the color scheme, with the logo, the design, and the branding, is to make it more approachable, right? So clients, you know, they, they come to me and they automatically, they're, they're not as intimidated. They're more likely to want to open up and share as opposed to you know, being afraid of being judged or opening up a can of worms, not have to pay lots of money to deal with it, right? And, you know, but I try to get through all that and say, you know what, I'm going to build a brand separate from myself, build up that goodwill, create something that's approachable and people can engage with and try something different in that way. Yeah, right. that's that's so cool because you're right. Often what happens is you put your name on a building and then people start to look at you as you're trying to be grandiose and show yourself off. And often that's part of the job yeah. is advertising yourself. But you've kind of removed that. And now Alpine Legal Services is its own thing. Just exactly. kind of like how it's not the Aaron Pete podcast. It's the Bigger Than Me podcast where you make it more focused on something other than just yourself, which makes it more approachable to the individual. Yeah. That's so cool. What else are you going, what else is going on? Because you're doing a great job of branding and putting out great merchandise to bring people in. Yeah. It's, um, see, my, my background is, um, I, I worked for the breweries and the marketing team as well after, after university. So this is before law school, um, before I became an accountant, I was working for them and you get an idea of how really high level marketing works, right? It's very cutthroat. It's very competitive and every, they think of everything. Right. And it's a marketing machine, right? When you're operating at that level, you, you, you got to pull out all the stops. Right. And then you also see how some of the smaller players in that market, how, what they, what they do and how they compete with larger established brands with millions of dollars in, in budget, marketing budgets. Right. And so with that experience, you know, I, I got to see things differently in terms of marketing and just, just the way, just how all these little details matters. Right. So for example, my, my, my first piece of uh, swag was a pen, right? Alpine Legal Services pen. People love it. I've I've got clients that come in, they take like a fistful of pens and they just walk out, right? And they love it. And it's every little detail though, right? That went into that. It's, it sounds silly because it's just a pen, but it's the details that matter, right? So I was signing some paperwork one day. This is before I came up with the idea and it was another law firm's pen and it was very flimsy and it kind of fell apart when I was writing with it, right? And you can tell it was very cheaply made. It's very low quality. And now imagine clients using that at home, right? And it falls apart. What are they going to think, right? They're going to have a negative impression. Like, oh, I'm signing this document. I'm in a hurry. I'm not going to find another pen. And they look at the brand and they say, wow, this company, you know, they, they made some really cheap product, right? And, you know, that's negative, right? It's ne- you paid money for that pen. You handed it out and now you've created a negative impression, right? So for myself, I was like, you know what? I want something that's sturdy, that's attractive to use, that feels comfortable to use. And so I put all that effort in, found the right pen, which I've I've only found one supplier that has that kind of pen, right? Did my own, you know, graphics, got everything lined up and just got some made and figured, you know what, we'll see how this goes. And it's interesting because a lot of clients, they like it because they like writing with it. They take some home, right? They, they even take some to hand out to other people. And the interesting thing too is I had a client come in and this person had, they were going in for emergency surgery. So they had a progressive condition and now they're losing sensation in their limbs. And so I met with them kind of last second to help them out with some few things because if they ended up passing away during surgery, they want to make sure at least their bases were covered in regards to their state. So as a result, they had difficulty signing though because they couldn't really move their hands. My pen fit perfectly into their hand and they were able to actually write with it. And they were so happy to be able to just write because they weren't able to properly write with anything else that they had. And 
it was, it just brought them so much happiness, right? And they were like super stoked about it. And I didn't anticipate that, right? I, I never thought in that much detail, but I've had a few clients who are like that, right? And it's like, like I said, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what can happen, right? So I put that much detail, that much attention to detail into everything I do, right? So even the phone wallets I have handing that I hand out, they've got the stands built in with the little pop socket kind of thing, right? And that's pretty neat, right? Because then now you're appealing to people who not just need a phone wallet, but maybe people who just want the pop socket kind of thing to hold on to, to use as a stand. So now you now you've expanded the amount of people that would be interested in having that product. And it looks different, right? It's blue and gray as opposed to just black, right? So it stands out a bit more, right? It's more attractive. People want to rock it, right? Got toques, got umbrellas, and it's all carefully designed and planned. And, you know, because like I said, you want to build an attractive brand that people want to represent, even if it's, you know, yeah, law firm in Chilliwack, but they might even find the design attractive, right? And they want to represent that and people ask about it, right? And, you know, you, you got to pull all the stops when it comes to work. Absolutely. Right? And I had that experience as well with pens. When I was yeah. at the uh, Native Court Workers, we would have these really high quality pens that lit up and they were a little bit more sturdy and people preferred those. And I'd hand them out to sheriffs, crown counsel, lawyers to try and build relationships. And they absolutely did that because it isn't always the big things where you're investing in a giant logo on the front of a newspaper. It's what can you do for the client that's right in the room. And it seems like you're really good at figuring out how to advertise and work with the client that is in your office and less worried about getting it out to every single person in Chilliwack. You're more mm -hmm. focused on making it a positive experience for the person who's in there with you right then and there. And that's so unique. So can you tell us a little bit about the business model? Because you have an accounting background, a law degree, yeah. and marketing experience. That seems like the trifecta of an effective marketing and business operation system. So can you tell us a little bit about how you bring all those three things together? All right. So yeah, before I was a lawyer, I was an accountant. So I had my CPA designation. At the time, I was a CMA. So CMA is Certified Management Accountant, right? So my interest in accounting, I wasn't really too interested in the financial accounting, so like the day-to-day -day bookkeeping, payroll kind of stuff. I liked um, management accounting is, is what they call that um, area. Um, and what it does is you focus more on costing, budgeting, um, and a lot of analysis. So, and one of the things I really like is analyzing what they call the value chain, right? So you think about your, your clients. And every step, every step of their relationship with you, you map out, right? So from the time you first engage with them, right? Or even before that, your, your attempts to engage with them, right? Straight through the point where, you know, they become a client, they've solved their matter, you solve their matter with them, they paid the bill and they moved on and then match relationship afterwards. So every step in between, what are you doing for them, right? And you list everything out. And then along the way, what am I doing? So real estate transaction, let's say, right? Client comes in. What's every step of the process? List it all out and think about every step. And does this add value to the client or not? If it does add value, how can I add more? How can I make it more valuable, right? And how can I do it in a more cost-effective way? If it doesn't add value, why are you doing it, right? Is there, if, is there a way to automate that function then? Is there a way to just eliminate that step if it doesn't add value to the client? So when you start thinking about what adds value to the client and how can I deliver that in the most cost-effective way possible, in the most effective way possible, and the numbers work out, now you're working towards having a much more streamlined, more effective service delivery. And because I have experience in that, I can regularly look at my business processes and think about ways to just do things better. Because there's always ways to do things better, right? Just a matter of putting in the time, the effort, the energy, and really looking at things, right? And I find that um, having that experience is very helpful because when you're in law, you're not necessarily a business person, right? All kinds of people go into law, which is great. But it's a diverse profession. And that's the way it should be. 
But when you're running a business day to day and you don't have any business experience, you don't really see some of these details, right? So from my experience anyway, seeing how some firms are run, they just go overboard on the overhead and they don't think about these things. So you end up with a lot of bloated costs. And the way you can get around that is just, is just by charging more. But that's not necessarily, at the end of the day, the clients want to pay that bill. And if you have competitors who are doing things better, more efficiently, how are you going to compete with them on an ongoing basis if you have a lot of overhead that you can't really deal with? So that's, and that's one of the things I learned um, looking at other firms, um, working for other firms, et cetera, is, you know, what, what do these people do really well? And what are some of the areas that they could be doing a lot better, right? And so you see things like, for example, higher turnover, right? That's a cost. And, and I've talked to some other conveyancers out here and just in the Valley in general. And you notice in some industries that more senior staff are being replaced with junior staff because they're cheap. But the thing is that when you have the junior staff, you're also paying to train them. They're going to make mistakes you have to fix. Um, and hopefully it's nothing too serious. But now you're investing in them, right? And there's no guarantees that once they learn the ropes that they're going to necessarily stay. Right. So it's it's a gamble, but at the same time, with more experienced staff, if they've been with you for a long time, they're obviously loyal. They know what they're doing. They can you can be more hands off with them. And but when you do the math, you know, is it justified? In in my opinion, yes, right. But some other firms, they they like going the model of, yeah, getting rid of them, turning over and that kind of stuff. It makes more sense. But from what I've seen, that just makes things way more expensive and more difficult. But you start to analyze businesses in this way, think about it this way, um, and then you realize that the decision making that goes on behind the scenes. There's really not a lot of thought really put into it sometimes. And like I said, at the end of the day, all that becomes overhead, all that becomes extra costs, and all that gets passed on to the client. So if I can find ways to analyze my business in that much detail and do things better, now I've got a business model that's really hard to compete against. Exactly, right? because you built it from the foundation and you were yeah. aware of what you were doing. I know a lot of people who go through something similar, but not in a business model. People who will take jobs at a place that maybe was paying them $20 an hour, which is above maybe what the market is asking for. And these people will build their lifestyle around the job that they've just accepted, even though they didn't have the credentials. So I know people who have these $20 an hour jobs and they've got a $40,000 car now, rental payments, and they're now stuck. They can't get out because they've built their life around um, this job that they now require. Now they can't go to a $15 an hour job and work that to save money. And so that's kind of similar to what you're saying, which is law firms kind of build themselves into a position where they don't have as much uh, negotiating power with what their um, overhead costs are. And so I think that that's important for people to understand because there's a lot of businesses that do this completely by accident and completely because they're more focused on the product they're putting out or whatever their endeavor is. They're more focused on that. And I think that that's so interesting and so important for people to understand that you thought of all of these things before you named it, before you did anything, you were thinking of how do I do this the right way that is going to be sustainable for the long term. And that's why I think that Alpine Legal Services is going to be around for a really long time. Because again, your competition can't outcut you because you've already thought of all the details of how the pen works to how the business model is going to be laid out. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the accounting affects your business? Because that is such an interesting thing that I do think a lot of lawyers and a lot of people lack is yeah. the word accounting, everybody knows it, but it is incredibly intimidating to people. So can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, with the financial accounting side of things, I've integrated a lot of my, my practice management software with my accounting software. So I've purposely adopted programs that work together. And, I've, and you set up the accounts in such a way where it's super efficient, right? So if a lot of it can sync up and be automated off the bat, then my accountant has a much easier time 
you know, dealing with all the books, getting reports that much sooner, which you need to, when it comes to financial information, you want that as soon as possible so you can make decisions. So if you've got a really complicated accounting system, it's a huge mess, and you don't really find out actual numbers until much later, it's too late to really use that to make a decision, right? So you want your accounting system to be as smooth as possible. A, because law society has a lot of rules regarding reconciliations, especially for trust accounts, which for good reason. And, you know, B, law firms move so fast. So you need to make sure every process you have is um, just as quick, right? Because if you're looking to catch up on files, like the counting on files from like months ago, you're so far behind. If you discover a mistake or an error or something like that, you know, the, the, the client suffers, right? So if your accounting is really smooth, it's really synced up, um, and you got a really, you know, a really simple system, it, it just works out much better, right? So for me, my financial accounting processes, I'm still trying to finalize them in place. I just hired a CPA as my accountant, right? So we're getting all that together. But yeah, right now it's um, it's really smooth sailing for that, right? Everything that's out, I can, and that, that also reduces my overhead because now I'm paying less on accounting fees because my system is so efficient. I get the information much quicker and I can leverage it a bit more. Right. And then when I look at my numbers, I have a budget and then you have the actuals, right? So when you look at your numbers, look everything line by line, no matter how small the cost and think about, well, how can I cut costs in this area? Right. And it's interesting. It's an interesting exercise because some people just look at budgeting and say, okay, you know what? I'm covering my expenses, making some money for myself. I'm good. Right. But that's not necessarily, you know, the best long-term approach to building your business because once you've tacked on a lot of overhead, it's hard to go back later on and try to cut, right? Because now you're too busy. And it's it's really hard to then change things after the fact when the machine's already built, right? Um, so for myself, every step along the way, when I'm getting into new contracts and you pick up new services, what's the most cost-effective way for me to, to have this um, business function or this activity dealt with, right? And like, even for example, my office space, I work out of the co-work space, right? Uh, much cheaper rent than having a separate, um, you know, commercial office. And, and like I said, it comes down to the value chain, right? What do clients, when, when they come to someone for, let's say, real estate services, what do they want? Do they care about the fact they have an army of assistants? Do they care about the fact they've got a massive building? They don't care about that at all, right? A lot of them, it comes down to, they want to make sure they they reach out to something, they can get a hold of someone, they can get answers that they need, and they can get the service done in a quick manner and in a way, in a way that um, saves them money, right? In a way that's cost-effective. And having a big office does not add value to any of that, right? Um, so cut out, you know, all those bells and whistles, focus on, you know, the core service um, and do that really well. And then there you go, right? Well, that's how you build it. And the co-work, <laughs> the co-work part is so cool because that's also a way of facilitating more relationships and becoming more community oriented yeah. where other law firms, if you go into the big ones, they're disjointed. They aren't really connected with the community. Maybe their location's really good. But they are their own space, completely different from everything else. But when you go to co-work Chilliwack, yeah. you're seeing a bunch of different people all doing the best they can, working and trying to cut those costs and trying to be as effective and efficient as possible. And so mm -hmm. you're in a community of people already that kind of support your ambitions and you can work together in a more holistic environment. Yeah. And that's that's actually huge because when I first learned about the uh, co-work space, I was going to their startup grind event. Right. So every month they do a startup grind. Well, not now, obviously, but um, before they used to do the monthly startup grind events. Right. So they'd feature local entrepreneurs, local business owners. And you, you go there and you hear the, hear the story and you have networking and it's a really cool building. And that's when I first got to see, see, see the place, look around. And I said, this is a really cool building. You know, it's, so Tim McAlpine, he's the owner of Currency Marketing. You know, they own the space. And, you know, the attention of detail that went into making that space. Right. Like you've seen it. Uh, the, the studio, the way the officer designed and set up what they offer. 
it's a really nice space. It's one of the better spaces I've seen, right? The best space I've seen actually, right? And I was really impressed. And I said, you know what? I, I would really love to open up shop here one day, right? I like the space, I like the community behind it, um, the support behind it. You got clients that walk in and they're like, wow, this is a really cool space. And they want to they want to look around, right? And it's it's good to see that because people appreciate like the technology that went into it, like the, the design aspects. And I really, you know, congratulate Tim on that. He's really thought that through, right? Him and his team. So, you know, when I went there, I said, you know what, I'm looking for an office space. This is the place I want to be, right? The location, it's really central, right next to all the banks, the real estate board. It's really central, easy to find for people, get a nice office space. There's lots of perks to being a member of their space and the community behind it too, right? you got so many businesses working out of that space, right? And my first client on my own was a member of that space. And they just walked downstairs and said, hey, can you help me with this? And then another person walked downstairs, hey, can you help me with this? And just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, someone walked upstairs to my office and said, uh, you know, hey, can you help me with, uh, you know, like a mortgage, right? So that's it's cool because you're part of that community, right? You're part of that space. And I like that. You're surrounded by entrepreneurs. You're surrounded by business owners. And I have a passion for business, right? So my other practice area is also in business law. And I just love being around small business. So for me, being there just makes that much more sense. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we have a space like that in Chilliwack. Right. Yeah. It's so unique because I didn't even know about it until I started doing the podcast and I was looking into what other podcasts are going on in Chilliwack. And then Cowork obviously has a space specifically for podcasting. And I was very interested in that space. And I think that that is so important because now you're, you've reduced the overhead cost of having an office, but you're also now connected to people who might need your business where if you were in an office by yourself and you're where you're renting isn't going to be worried about whether or not you're getting more business, but co-work mm-hmm. is there to kind of facilitate and help and support you in that. And I think that that's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about the business side of things and what kind of work you're looking for through Alpine Legal Services? What goes on there? So right now my focus is on building the real estate practice, right? So the way the way I want to build things is I want to focus on one area at a time, right? So even though most of my background is in business law, um, I still have a real estate background as well, and it's an area that I want to build first. Um, so for me right now, that's in the residential conveyancing space. So purchases, sales, refinancings, private private real estate deals. I want to build a really good base for that first, um, hire some conveyancers, and build up that before I go into more commercial real estate. At the same time, I'm also focusing on wills and estates, but wills and estates is an area that, uh, like, like for example, when I have Conveyancing clients come in, I give them, you know, coupon for 10% off their wills and estate planning package um, because buying a house, you know, selling a house, if there's any of these major life events, you you want to get your estate planning looked at, right? Maybe people haven't thought about it yet, but now you've given them an incentive to get that done and you get that done through you, right? And once you've helped someone, you know, with the real estate transaction and you help them with estate planning, you know, they're, they're going to come back to you for something else in the future, right? Because you got to know them pretty well. They know you pretty well, you know, they're happy with the service, which is why they came back and you've got that relationship right. Now you've scored yourself a, a good client relationship and that's only going to, you know, pay dividends because if you never deal with a lawyer in your life, at the very least, you're going to deal with them at some point regarding real estate or a mortgage. If you're, you know, going to be getting into the housing market um, or getting your wills and estate planning done, at the very least, you're going to have to deal with those things, right? So for me, if I can be, you know, that lawyer um, and win that relationship, um, like I said, it, that that pays dividends, right? So I've got past clients who, you know, they have someone they know um, and they're going through maybe a separation or divorce. Maybe they got into a motor vehicle accident, right? 
and they're talking to this person and say, do you know a lawyer who can help you with this? And they say, well, I don't know a lawyer who can do that, but I have a lawyer that I've used before for this transaction. Why don't you give them a shout and they can refer you to someone who takes care of that if they don't themselves, right? So then I get all kinds of calls asking for, do you need family lawyers? Do you need personal injury lawyers, right? Criminal lawyers. And, you know, then I can refer them to people that I know and trust who do good work in that area, right? And then again, they work with them. They get a good relationship with them going and they appreciate me making that connection as well. Right? Absolutely. So, you know, it's... Um, it, the way I look at it is trying to build real estate, but that's a that to me is a good way to start because you get more clients in the door that way, um, and you can build that into other relationships and build that into your network, right? Make other connections with people, and that will then translate into me building up my other practice areas as well, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just a really good base to have, and I do enjoy the real estate work too, right? Because you're dealing with people who, you know, first-time home buyers, it's very exciting for them. It's cool to be part of that process, right? And people is going through life changes. Sometimes you pick, you get investors as clients. And you get to pick their brain for a bit and, you know, learn more about what they do. And, you know, you get all kinds of uh, clients that come in, right? And it's really cool to just, uh, you know, meet them, get to know them. And that's part of what I like about high volume work, right? Is you're always meeting new people, right? As opposed to if you're dependent on a few big business clients, you get to deal with them all the time. But it's good to always, I don't know, I I like meeting people all the time, right? So for me, that kind of high volume work, I, you know, I find myself enjoying that. That's awesome. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about what conveyancing is? Some of the viewers might not know exactly how that works or or what goes on there. Yeah. So when you're looking to um, purchase or sell a real property, the first step is for people, they usually contact their realtor mortgage broker, right? Find out what they can qualify for, go house hunting. And once they found the house, they make an offer and they get an accepted offer. Great. Then you have subject removal uh, and the realtor does all of that, right? And so once subjects are removed, now you've got a fully binding contract. And at that point, the file then goes to, you know, the lawyer notary. Um, sometimes it's a referral from the realtor. Sometimes it's the client that finds their own realtor notary uh, or lawyer notary. And then you get sent the copy of the contract along with the instructions on, you know, from the realtor's brokerage in terms of commissions, dates, deadlines, who, who's the other, other side's uh, lawyer notary. And then now you've got a deal, right? And so you go through the, you know, you go through the paperwork, you get all the documents ready, and then you sign, let's say it's a purchase, you sign the purchase documents with the client, you have the other side sign their seller's documents, you get the mortgage documents signed to the client as well, figure out all the numbers, let the client know what they have to bring in and answer any questions they may have, right? They may have questions regarding property transfer tax, uh, GST, um, first home buyer's exemption, different things that come up on title, right? They want to know about what happens in this event or this event. What if we figure this out? What's title insurance about, right? So they have all kinds of questions and, you know, and they want answers. So you should make the time out to answer those questions, right? For your clients, because this is, this is a significant life decision for them, right? Whether it's a purchase or a sale. So, you know, you help them out, answer the questions, even the realtor might have questions. So before the deal even becomes subject free, they may call you up and say, you know, hey, Chanel, I found this thing on title. What should I do about this? Or I'm having trouble tracking this information down. How would I go about getting it right? So sometimes, you know, the realtor is reaching out to you beforehand and then you see the deal come to your desk. Everything is kind of completed, right? But yeah, so they come to you, they get the paperwork signed, you answer the questions, the much money you have to bring in and then deal with any issues that come up. Right. So one of the advantages of being a lawyer is you can provide um, that kind of legal advice. Right. So if you have clients in a position where um, I had one client who they entered into um, a purchase contract, subjects are all removed. And then it came out afterwards, property is a former grow up property that was never disclosed, never really. It, it was it was, you know, it's definitely a very 
shady listing, right? And so the client is now in a subject-free contract and now they're stuck with the deal to buy a home that was a former co-op, right? What can you do, right? So now there's a lot of issues involved, right? Can they still get financing? What other issues are there in the home? Because your typical home inspection is not going to be as detailed as it should be for a grow-up operation. So you need an inspection done again. Um, your insurance company can even get insurance anymore. And what if you wanted to you terminate the deal? What's the, what's that, what does that look like for you in terms of your deposit, your legal rights? What, what does the argument look like? So you can take over for that for the client. You can advise them on those matters, right? Whereas um, if a notary is involved, they can't give that legal advice. They wouldn't want to give that legal advice for liability reasons. Now they have, the client has to go find a lawyer last second to deal with that, right? So when you do have a lawyer involved, um, we're able to step in in those kind of situations and provide the client with advice. And you know, if push comes to shove, you can at least represent them, yeah. right? So that deal ended up closing, thankfully. And the, you know that's what the client wanted, right? You managed to make it work but it definitely took a lot of legal wrestling to make that happen. Yeah. So right? what, what would you say? So somebody's sitting down with a realtor and yeah. the realtor's like, well, we already use a notary or we already use this giant behemoth law firm. Yeah. What would your pitch be to them where you say we are different in these ways? Yeah. So what I say to them is we offer more in terms of service offerings, right? So for everybody involved. So for realtors, I run um, seminars. So I go to brokerages and talk about topics of interest like you know, dealing with leasehold interest in property, right? So First Nations land transactions, we have leasehold interests. How, how do they work, right? So I run seminars like that for realtors, right? And it contributes to their development and their understanding. And, you know, they appreciate that. Um, make myself available to answer whatever questions realtors may have. So I've had realtors call me up, ask me questions about certain things on title, certain transactions, et cetera. And then for the client themselves, to get the better price point, like I said, I keep my cost down as much as possible, pass the savings on to the client. So my goal is if I can sustainably deliver the best prices in the Fraser Valley while still making a healthy margin for myself, now I'm, I've got a competitive advantage that I can't easily meet. So I win that, I win on the price point. And in terms of service delivery, um, like I said, you have to make yourself available to answer questions for clients, right? So they like having that point of contact. Um... And if you start passing clients off or ignoring them and stuff like that, and it's like, oh, you know, it's a small farm, I can deal with it. That's a great way to lose business and get negative word of mouth, right? So, you know, to some some people that might be saving time or just it's a really silly question, but no, you know, it means a lot to the client. That's how they're reaching out to you, help them out. And if you're not willing to do that, why are you practicing this area? That's just the part of the game, right? So focusing on the client service delivery in multiple ways, right? It's not just answering the questions, it's also being available in terms of, um, I've extended hours of operation up until seven because I find a lot of younger fa- younger families. Um, they got kids. They want to be able to um, meet after work hours. Uh, maybe they want a house visit. That's especially valuable for those with children. Um, like I've signed up real estate documents with people while they're feeding their kids at home. And it's, it, it just makes sense for them, right? Um, that way they don't have to take time off of work because that's a cost to the client. They take time off of work if they're paid an hourly wage, they lose that money, Right. If they have to hire a babysitter, they lose that money. So if you're only open nine to five, Monday to Friday, you're losing, you're, you're inconveniencing the client in a lot of ways. So for me, especially in this day and age where everyone's used to convenience, right? You can order everything online same day. Your realtor comes to you. Your mortgage brokers, you know, they can come to you as well. They can meet you at coffee shops, right? Whatever it takes to get the deal done, you know, everyone else is doing it. But the last piece of the puzzle, you know, the lawyer, the notary, that's not, it's not consistent with that, right? So when I talk to realtors and mortgage brokers, I say, you know what, you guys put, do a lot of the heavy lifting. You know, I think the last piece of puzzle should be the same. It should be cohesive, it should be consistent. I mean, in theory, a client can buy and sell a house, get a mortgage and all that kind of stuff without even leaving their house, 
right? Except for to do some viewings, but they don't even have to leave their house to get all that stuff done, right? So the potential is there for a really convenient service offering at a really great price, but who's doing that? Who's delivering that, right? So that's my pitch to, to you know, referral partners to clients is, you know, you get service delivery in all aspects, you get the better price point, um, you get someone who's committed to your development. Um, why go anywhere else? Like, what's your reason for going anywhere else, right? And if you have people you've already worked with and you're just referring to them because, just because, and it's like, well, your client's going to pay more and probably not get the same value added services. So what's the real incentive there for them, right? What's, you know, what's, um, what's really keeping you tethered, right? And if I can get the message out there to realtors, mortgage brokers, and clients, um, especially clients, if you can get directly to the client and market to them, they're going to ask those questions too. You know, hey, why are you referring me to this person when I should be going to Alpine because they offer what I need at a better price. I've called around and I want to work with them, right? So the goal is to get to that point, right? Where the word spreads and you know, people realize like, you know, hey, why go anywhere else, right? So that's that, that's my objective is to build a business where, you know, there is no answer to that question. Why go anywhere else, right? Because there's no reason to. That's right? awesome. And I think that that's so important because I think one common thing we always see is lawyers with egos. That's how mm-hmm. like most shows are set up to instill that like suits. The Good Wife, they're all set up in a way that really promotes the idea that lawyers are something different and they have a different type of brain. And what you're showing is that you are open to removing the ego from the law firm altogether and really just working on getting the correct work done and being that person that people can call. Because that is a huge problem is if you pick up a phone and call a big law firm, you're getting put through to an assistant and then you're being put being put on wait or being told to call back later or they will call you back later. That isn't instilling confidence in the person paying real money to mm-hmm. try and get a service. And yours obviously is because you're willing to put in that work and be so flexible. That's so amazing that you're able to work till seven and you're open to that to make sure that the business succeeds because obviously you're making a personal sacrifice to be yeah. available during that time. What is that? What is the future look like in terms of that? Because obviously that's a great service, but that's obviously going to put a lot of weight on you personally. Yep. Yep. And that's, but that's, and that's part of the game, right? Is when you're running your own business you're working all the time anyways. Like there's always something that needs to be done. Um, even if it's not related to a client file, maybe it has to do with getting remittances done, working on your marketing. You've got meetings for, you know, like marketing meetings and stuff like that. You've got, there's always something to do, right? There's always something on your plate. So I figured, you know, if I'm going to be working those hours anyways, uh, I might as well open up a couple appointment slots um, and just be there in case clients need it, right? And there's been a lot of times where that's come in really handy for clients, especially with last second issues. And, you know, I'm there to deal with it, right? So in that sense, like, yeah, you know, it is a commitment on my end, but that's part of having your own business as well is even if your hours are nine to five, oftentimes, like I've seen other lawyers, their hours might be nine to five, but they're in the office till late anyways, right? They don't leave at five. They just use that time to finally focus on getting some other stuff done, right? So um, when you're in the, when you're, you know, a lawyer, um, even if you're an associate at another firm, whether it's a small firm, large firm, um, or if you're on your own, you're always working around the clock anyways. And it's not because you're necessarily, it's not because you're, you know, boss or whoever's telling you, oh, you have to stay here for long hours, whatever it is. It's your, your clients, they need stuff done. And if you're going to always shun your clients, um, you're not going to have any clients. So, you know, like for example, you know, Friday, um, yesterday, I had a few filed where I was waiting to hear back um, from like the court registry, waiting back to hear back from the other side. Um, and I wasn't expecting to hear back for a while. But lo and behold, I hear back on all of those files on the exact same day. 
at the exact same time. Now I've got a lot of work to do. And if I don't do it, who suffers? The client suffers, right? So now you're working weekends, trying to make things work, right? And it's no different. Like if, if I was an associate at a big firm, the same position, I'm doing the exact same thing, right? You're staying up, you're working late and you're just getting the job done. Cause at the end of the day, that's part of being a lawyer, right? You're getting stuff done. So for me, adding that five to seven appointment availability does not really change the course of my day. And it doesn't matter if I was on my own working from the firm, it's pretty much the same, right? So it's that's just part of being a lawyer, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's one really cool part though, is because you have this hunger inside of you yeah. where you are trying to do every single thing correctly. And I think that that is something that I really want people to start to understand is that it isn't just about doing the one big project perfectly and nothing else. It's about getting the pen right. It's about getting the hours correct and building these relationships from the ground up. And that's what's going to make you sustainable. And so I'm curious as to how the all of this came to be where you wanted to start this practice and where that came from within you because you are putting in the work, you're willing to work the weekends and you've got this fuel inside you. And I think it's coming across that you are willing to do whatever it takes to try and make sure that this succeeds and willing to make the sacrifices necessary to make that happen. And I think that that's important for people because people stay at jobs for 20 years and never progress and mm -hmm. then wonder what the heck happened. And you're waking up every single day with this hunger. And that's how I feel about the podcast is I'm waking up. If it's 7 p.m., I'm going to keep editing, even if it's in the background, trying to accomplish just a little bit more, keep moving forward and never letting my foot off the gas. What has that been like for you? It's, uh, it's, it's my comfort zone. Right. That's like, I'm, I'm someone who, when there's a lot of pressure, that's when I do my best. So when the, when the stakes are high, there's lots of pressure. That's when I really shine. And I've learned that about myself, right? When things are slow and you don't really feel challenged, that's when I just fall off, right? That's when I become sluggish. I can't get stuff done. I need to, I need that high pressure, right? That's just how I work. So for me, in addition to that, I've always been surrounded by entrepreneurs, right? My dad's business owner, and I've seen how smaller businesses can really, you know, lift families, right? You have people that come, you know, from other countries. Um, they probably have difficulty with language, right? They've got skills that aren't recognized here in this country, right? And but they've got a dream. And a lot of those dreams, you know, they start up a business, they plug away for so many years, right? Decades and decades. And now they've built something and their family's been lifted out of poverty, right? And I've seen that happen from my very eyes time and time again. And at the end of the day, it's all come down to just sheer hard work. And I find that, you know, some people, and when you meet a lot of people who are natural entrepreneurs, they have that ability where if, if a problem comes up, they don't complain about, oh, I got to deal with this or whatever. They think about how can I get this done, right? They think about ways to move forward and succeed and just constantly be progressing. You know, they don't have that mentality where, oh, what was me kind of thing, right? They're always plugging away. And, you know, I, and I've seen that. I've seen that my whole life, right? So that's how I develop my passion for business right? Is I really respect that spirit and drive. And that's what I say is every time I meet business owners, right? It's like, you know, some people will say, oh, I don't like this person because of this. And I say, you know what? At the end of the day, you always have to respect them for going their own way, doing their own thing, making their decisions. And nobody can take that away from them, right? When I build my own business, nobody can take that away from me, right? And that's, you feel very proud of what you accomplish. And when people leave you good reviews, people say good things about your practice, your firm, um, people refer you clients and files um, because they believe in you, they trust you, and support your business. That feels really good. And to know that you built that, you know, it's very humbling and it's very, you know, it, it, it just motivates me even more, right? So for me, um, that drive has always just come naturally. 
right? And like I said, um, when I'm the deep fryer, that's when I do my best. So when you mix all that together, for me, running my own business, um, it's natural for me, right? And building it, I've got some pretty large goals and, you know, I'm going to plug away every day until I achieve them, yeah. right? And if you've got a plan, if you've got a, if you've got a goal, you got plans to achieve it, and you work really hard, it's just a matter of time before you accomplish, right? That's one thing I've learned in life is if you've got a vision in your head and you can break it down to little steps and you just keep plugging away, you're going to accomplish, right? And that's just the way it is. And I've seen that, I've been through that, and that's my plan for Alpine. It's the same, right? Just keep plugging away, doing good work and building the business to the best it can be. That's awesome. Right? I did have one person ask me, they were like, well, is your podcast about role models or is it about small businesses? And yeah. in my mind, it was like, well, often they're one in the same. The people who are willing to go out there and decide whatever their passion is, whether it's the law, whether it's the town butcher and meat, whether it's Garrison Running Co. and Shoes, people are committing to, this is something I'm interested in. This is something I want to know more about. I'm going to start my business. It's going to be based around shoes and I'm going to learn everything there is. And then I'm going to try and get people the product that they really want or that's going to make them run longer, better, get the house at a more affordable price, do these things. And that's what makes small business owners role models is because they've committed to whatever their endeavor is and they're pushing it every single day for the most part. Obviously, there's some where they're not putting in that and they've been doing it for 20 years. But I'm talking about the individuals like yourself who are really passionate about what they're doing and willing to put in that extra mile. That is a role model because maybe your passion isn't shoes or the law, but you can certainly see them and their passion for whatever their endeavor is and appreciate and respect the fact that, again, nobody can take that from them and that they've built something from the ground up and worked really hard at that. And that's something to admire and respect about people when they're able to put that in. What made you name it Alpine Legal Services? Because obviously it makes sense that um, you've you've moved away from using your own name. But mm -hmm. what made Alpine Legal Services? It was interesting. I'm trying to think back at that time. I wanted something to do with the mountains. I've always been a fan of the mountains, right? And out here in Chilliwack, you've got you know a lot of mountain terrain. It's just really beautiful to look at and experience. And it's just you know just this is part of the beauty of the valley, right? I wanted I wanted something that ties me my, my my brand to the valley and that's why you know i picked you know that sort of design and i just thought uh, and we think about all the different names that i could have chosen along those lines some of them are already taken by other firms some of them are taken by other businesses with similar names etc but when i thought about alpine i was like, okay you know what i like that i mean i get messages all the time from People thinking I'm Alpine Legal Services from Colorado, yeah, <laughs> which is pretty, pretty neat. But um, I actually got tagged in one of their social media posts. I'm like, just so you know, I'm a smaller firm out here in Chilliwack. I'm not, I'm not that organization in, in Colorado. But um, you know, so that's how the, the Alpine and the mountain, mountainous idea kind of kind of came around. Um, and legal services, I found, I just, I just think it sounds, it gets to the point. What do you do, legal services? But it's generic enough to not put people away in terms of, let's say if I say Alpine real estate lawyers, right? Um, they're going to think they just do real estate or, and then and they see lawyers in it, right? And they say, oh, okay, I'm, you know, they're a law firm. It's going to be more expensive. I should just go somewhere else, right? But legal services I found is neutral enough. It gets the point across. It does, it's generic enough to not, to appeal to a broader uh, uh, client base. And so when I combined the two and got Alpine Legal Services, I figured, you know, I think that's the way to go where, you know, people see that connection, you know, to the mountains, to the community, to the Fraser Valley, they can see legal services, they, they understand what legal services mean, means, right? So it just has that broad appeal. And that's why I selected that. 
Yeah. That name. And so you do the real estate part, but can we talk a little bit more about the other things you're interested in moving towards? Yeah. So like I said, real estate's area I'm trying to really develop right now, business law as well. Like I said, I've grown up around entrepreneurs. I've always been into entrepreneurship um, ever since I was like in high school, university even. I was like, I went to business school. I've always been involved in small business initiatives. I was um, even a member of the Vancouver World Trade. I was in the small business committee for a bit too. And now I'm volunteering with Community Future South Fraser as well. I'm on the board of directors. So whatever I can do to get involved with small business, you know, that's that's what I really like doing. So it'd be great to, you know, once I got the real estate practice kind of built up and streamlined and good to go, then I can shift my focus to building more of the business side of things, right? And I'm going to do that differently as well, right? So part of what I'm experimenting with is how do I, you know, deliver better value to biz- for business clients, right? And I mean, first off, if I have a business client, they're dealing with not just a lawyer, but also a business owner. And the mentality is very different. When you're viewing things as an associate, another firm, and talking to the client, the way they talk to you, the what they share with you, it's definitely very different from when they're talking with you as a business owner of a law firm, right? It's very different. And I find that, you know, there's more understanding there, right? So, <clears throat> you know, so when I talk to them about, about um, business issues, things that they're facing, I probably dealt with the same thing. And I can talk to them one-on-one about it, right? So they get the advantage talking to someone who has been there, done that as well, um, is also on their business making business journey, who's also a lawyer, and <clears throat> who also has that accounting background. So I understand the numbers, and I can talk to them about things like that, right? Not giving them accounting advice, because I can't do that in my capacity as a lawyer, but I can at least understand their business that much better, right? So when they deal with me, they're getting someone who has all that, along with the technology background as well right? And the marketing experience. So they get someone who does have that background in business. So when you're talking, when they're talking to me, they're getting advice from a more multifaceted approach as opposed to just, I only know the law, right? And I think that adds a lot of value, right? For business owners. And that also makes it, um, that also makes you a more valuable addition to their team because you are working with their accountant and the other professionals they have, right? So there is that value off the bat. And the second thing I'm trying to really focus on is maybe a different pricing model for business clients, right? So one of the things I was thinking about is even like a subscription-based model, right? So if you're a smaller business, you've got things that come up throughout the year. Sometimes it's excuse me, a smaller issue, like, uh, okay, we got um, you know a contract that we're trying to whip up here, et cetera. Um, can we just get this done, right? Sometimes it's a larger issue where now we've got this on our hands. We don't know how to deal with it. It's going to cost us a bit of money. And maybe they don't have the money to that month to cover that kind of expense, right? So or maybe they want to, you know, have some more certainty when they when they call their lawyer, right? So what I would what what I'm thinking about offering is you pay a monthly fee and you are basically prepaying for a bulk amount of legal services um, at a discounted rate, right? So that way you pay a monthly rate, but you can call me up for X amount of hours in a year, and it's all included in that, right? So it smooths the expenses out over the months. Um, so that way there's no, you know, cash flow instability where we had a legal problem this month. We spent thousands of dollars to solve it. It smoothed out a bit more. And because they know they're prepaying for X amount of hours, they're going to be more likely to get legal advice because sometimes people want to save money. They don't get legal advice when they probably should and now they got themselves into a bind, right? So they're more likely to call call you then as a, as a lawyer and then you can have that more really better relationship with them because then you feel more approachable to them, right? So maybe that's the way to go. But, you know, it's it's a new idea, right? And I'm still kind of testing the water to see if business clients would be interested in a service like that, right? But 
at the end of the day, it's uh, it's about trying to do things differently in a way that is currently being unmet, right? And if there's enough demand for that, great. Then we can offer that as a service. And maybe business clients will appreciate that. But if it uh, if it is not something that draws a lot of interest, maybe there's another way, right? That another legal need that's not being met in the market, right? But that's that's kind of my plans for the business side of things, right? Is to see how I can do business law differently, and then my other practice areas, wills and estates. Um, which is something that um, I never really saw myself practicing in when I was in law school. But then again, law schools really go into the day-to-day practice of any really every, any uh, real area, right? So, but um, when I was working at a different firm, there was a lawyer who I worked with who was really passionate about wills and estates, right? And so I worked with them and got to learn the ropes about um, the area, and I just found it really fascinating, you know, because it will it's, it's just a document, but. The impact it can have, especially if it's not done properly or if people haven't put their affairs in order um, before passing away, the impact it can have is very serious, right? So you have, uh, and it's very, very small things, right? Um, like, for example, let's say you have a will and it says, you know, I've got four children and I want my state to divide equally between them. And they just think, okay, that makes sense, right? But Behind the scenes, what they're really thinking of is maybe we have like a vacation property. It's got a sentimental value to to my family and I want it to be, you know, given to my children, right? And they can all live there and stay there. Well, now you've said that your estate is divided in quarters. So technically, the house, the other property has to be sold to become part of the estate to be divided Um, unless they can work together to buy out the property. But now let's say the parent passes away and now they got the situation where it's not very clear, right? And maybe not all the kids have the money to necessarily buy it out. Maybe there's disputes over it or how to proceed. Someone says, you know what, let's just sell the family home. And then now you've created that, you know, friction, right? And it's over something that's pretty small, but you're surprised at how something that seems small can blow up, right? Because then it leads to other discussions and other problems, other conflicts arise. And now something that started off as an issue that was um, relatively minor is now blown up into a larger family dispute that gets locked into litigation for years. And I've seen all kinds of matters that um, because of a lack of clarity in a will or something wasn't addressed, now there's issues, right? Maybe a client has an idea for how they want things to be done and meet with the lawyer and you just whip it together in accordance with instructions. Great. But they might not have thought through all the potential legal implications, right? That's your job as a lawyer to point out, right? So when I sit down with my clients, my focus when I do wills and estates planning is not just, okay, well, what do you want to put into place? But I'll give them advice in terms of how do you minimize disputes, right? And that's one thing I really try to focus on the clients is you want to do things this way, just so you know, this is what can arise, right? How do you feel about that? And, you know, because when those issues do arise, and the parents aren't there to deal with it. Now you've created, you know, separation there between between the children, right? Which they don't want, right? And when you explain it to them in that way, they say, you know what? Um, you're right. We should probably consider doing things in a different way to minimize the potential there being a dispute, right? So that's what I really try to focus on is minimizing disputes when it comes to that planning. And also trying to get people to think about um, what happens if you don't pass away, but you're in a state of mental capacity, Right. That's when you could really use the power of attorney, representation agreement, getting that stuff put into place. Um, so someone can step in as your attorney and help you with your financial decision making or as your representative to help you make medical decisions, right? And it's and I've seen cases where it's extremely important to have that in place, right? So I'll use one example where 
um, there was um, a client, you know, their parent was in a care home and, the, you know, their, their children were all from out of town. And in that care home, there was someone who was trying to befriend them and basically manipulate them and control them. And so another parent um, doesn't have mental capacity, but um, this person is basically trying to take advantage of them. And even though they don't really have um, capacities, not really black and white, right? It's, it's a tricky area. Um, medically and legally um, to get into. But but long story short, um, this elderly person was being essentially exploited and abused in, in care. But thankfully, we made our visitation agreement before um, capacity was an issue. So they were able to use their authority to transfer them to a different care facility that was closer to one of the children so they could at least look after their parent, right? But if they didn't have that ability, now you have to go and try to argue as to whether that parent has capacity or not to be able to step in to make decisions for them. And it's not fun to try to go to court and argue that your parent is incompetent, right? Um, because sometimes, and I receive calls from the other end where someone calls me and says, you know, my children put me into care, but I am perfectly fine. What do I do, right? They argue that I'm incompetent. And I'm like, well, now you've, that's a totally different <laughs> area. But stuff like this happens and it's very serious, right? So wills and estates planning, to me, I look at it from that lens, um, if it's not done properly, it's um, it can cause a lot of issues for people, right? Really significant problems. Um, so that's why I like doing it. And, and as well, um, you get to provide, you know, you, you can get really lift the weight off of people's shoulders. I've done so many what they call like deathbed wills, where I am called to go to a hospital or like some kind of care facility, um, and the client is going to pass away very soon. And they don't have their will in order, right? Maybe it was a condition that progressed a lot more quickly than they thought. Maybe it's something really sudden, um, but they're going to pass away. And now they have the weight of their will on their shoulders in their last moments. And I've, I've helped clients as they are you know, in that state, get their state planning sorted out. And then once it's all sorted out and signed, they have that relief. And now they can focus more on talking to their family and stuff like that because they're not worried about oh, what if there's a dispute after I pass away over my assets, right? Um, what if my one child is not taken care of? Or you know, there's all these qu things that go on in their mind that weren't resolved. And I can help them get through that. And I, and I have done so. And it's really neat to know that I was able to at least help them in that way, right? I mean, it's a will. It's not like a big money kind of file, whatever it is. But that's not what it's about, right? It's about I get to be part of that. I get to help them and their family right and i've done you know definitely many you know kinds of um files like that and it's um you know makes me very happy yeah right and even people who have um like i've had lots of clients as well who are disabled and they're at home they can't leave their home and they need legal services too i and i've had all kinds of people um like reach out to me they're really struggling financially they're trying to do a debt reconsolidation no one's willing to go to their home to meet with them and they can't leave their home right and even if they were to try to leave their home, they have to bring all the medical equipment with them. They may, need a they may need a specialized van, taxi, which costs more money. And so these people are disabled. They have a fixed income. They don't have a lot of money. They're going through hardship. And there's really nobody out there who's willing to step in. Like I've had mortgage brokers call me from Richmond saying, can you come out and meet with a client from Chilliwack, right? And because these people have been trying to get this deal done, but no one's willing to meet with them, Right. And it's it's sad, right? And I've had people even locally, right? Same thing. You know, we're bed bound. We, we can't move. We have difficulty. And it's, you know, they want someone who can come to visit them. And I'm like, you know what? Chillock is small enough, right? I'm going up and down better all day, 
right? So, you know, it's not a big deal for me to pop by on the way and deal with them, but it's, it's, you know, and these are people who like access to legal, legal um, representation, right? It's a huge issue in, in law. And I'm just, the way I view it is I'm doing my small part in that way, right? By targeting some of these clients as well, right? So that kind of gives an overview of how I view my practice areas, yeah, right? And there's a reason why I do each one, right? Um, and if I don't have that, my opinion is if you don't have like a genuine joy appreciation for practice area, why are you doing it? Right. I don't dabble in other areas because I'm either not interested in it or I'm not, I don't think I have the right skills for it. Um, but you do what you're good at. Right. So for example, family law, I would not be a great family law lawyer. Right. You need a very different skill set for that area of law. Right. And it's a very hard area of law to practice in. But uh, I mean, you met Nell Crawford, right? I knew that she was a really good family lawyer before I even um, really came out to Chilliwack, right? And that's when I encouraged uh, my fiance to try to get a job with her firm, right? But you need that skill set, right? And you got to stick to what you're, what you know, right? What you're good at. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds so important because the whole part with wills and estates is that most people don't have a will. Most people don't have a plan. And in our community, we do have an overrepresentation of elderly people who do need those services and they need it done in a way where they can feel heard, understood, and it can be done in a process that is less intimidating. Because if you're trying to convince someone to go into a giant law firm to try and have a will done, that places the person at a disadvantage and is very intimidated, doesn't know the area. So when you're bringing up conflicts of um, that may arise, that's so important because then they have reassurance that when they do pass, that we've mitigated to the best of our ability any foreseeable problems that might arise that allows that person a certain sense of peace. And you're never going to be paid for that. Nobody's ever going to pay like a peace premium. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you're offering to the client while you're offering other services. And I think that that's so, so wholesome to hear because often with law, it becomes so impersonal and so disconnected from reality. And that is a very personal moment for the the client coming in, having this conversation about this is what I'd like to happen when I die, or this is how I'd like to set it up. And you being able to answer those questions and connect on that personal level, I think is important for people to hear because most of the people I know are very intimidated by lawyers. So having someone give the facts and the details of this is what the reality is going to be if we set it up in this way, these are ways to mitigate it and try and make sure that there are less conflicts when you do pass, your family is more together than apart. I think that's so important because there are people who try and steal during will issues and there is a lot of shadiness that can come out of that. So you trying to mitigate that is so important for somebody who's trying to resolve all of this in a healthy, positive way. And you have the opportunity to reduce the amount of hell somebody goes through after they lose their parents or are in those circumstances when it's just all just reflecting on the funeral and trying to connect. That's what you want to be focused on. You don't want to be focused on the fact that, well, this person got 20% more than you on this, or you're not getting this payout, or you don't get the home in the Bahamas. You don't want it to be about any of that. You want it to be grieving and reconciliation and coming to terms with those things. And I think that that's something that you never hear the legal profession ever talk about. And so I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful to be able to talk about that. Can we get into a little bit of your current relationships? Your fiance is working at Vale Family Law. What has yeah. that been like for her? And how did you two meet? Oh, boy. Okay. So uh, we met in law school, actually. So she's from Calgary. And um, she went to TRU for law in the same year as me. And um, <clears throat> yeah, we just uh, met in law school and started uh, started going out. And then... Um, you know, obviously had to make some decisions along the way in terms of, well, where do we really see ourselves in the future, right? Um, do we want to go and live in Calgary 
or Alberta? Do we want to go stay in BC? If so, where in BC? You know, where do we really want to set set roots, right? Um, and the option for originally way back. So I've always wanted to go into law school and become a lawyer since I was about um, in, in high school, right? And when I was in university and really thinking about it, at the time I had a mentor who's um, he's an oil and gas um, finance guy. And he was trying to convince me to work in securities law in Calgary, sort of get into more finance, right? And so when I went to law school, I was just like thinking, okay, well, I know there's probably an opportunity out there in you know oil and gas finance. And I can also think about the, something I had about uh, practicing in real estate business in the Fraser Valley, right? And that's when the um, you know oil and gas market kind of tanked. And I knew other lawyers who, you know, were definitely, you know, experienced lawyers, really bright, and they were losing their jobs, right? And I'm like, well, I don't want to deal with that instability, right? So, you know, being reliant on the oil and gas sector, I was like, you know, I don't really feel like I would want to set shop in uh, Alberta. And in terms of the weather, too, like, it's beautiful out here in BC. The weather's great. You know, you, you can't beat the, the views, especially out here in uh, in Chilliwack, right? So, you know, I said uh, to Aaron, uh, my fiance, I said, um, let's go to, um, you know, I have a good feeling about the Fraser Valley. Right. Let's go and set up. Uh, let's go get to place in Abbotsford once you graduate, and from there we're kind of equidistant to the neighboring cities, and you know we'll find articles, we'll find work, and then decide from there if where do we want to officially stay? Is it in Abbotsford, Chilliwack, Langley? We'll, we'll see, right? And but because before that I haven't really been to Chilliwack. Chilliwack is always just a stop on the Greyhound, right? That was pretty much what it was, and we would come out here sometimes, you know, to buy, you know corn or fish or whatever, but I never really got to see the community, right? And so anyways, um, my, my the first job that I got was at a law firm out here in Chilliwack. And so that's when I got exposure to Chilliwack working out here for a couple of years and I encouraged Aaron to um, also find a job, um, preferably in Chilliwack, but there's very few firms out here, right? So I said, you know, if you find a job, at least in Langley or somewhere else, you know, we both have like a similar kind of commute, right? Because if we set up shop in Chilliwack, and I find a job in Chilliwack and she finds a job in Langley, then she has to go through a really difficult commute every morning, right? So that's why we decided to stay in Abbotsford in the beginning. So um, anyways, I had heard about the you know, Crawford's practice in family law, and Aaron has an interest in going to family law. And so, you know, I told Aaron why didn't she try to reach out to to her, right? And at the time, she wasn't really looking to hire, right? She's got a small, small family practice, and she's running it herself, you know, as a single parent as well. So she's got a lot on her plate, and she managed it pretty well. Um, and I said to Aaron, you know what, just because they're not looking right now, doesn't mean they're never gonna be looking, right? So the best thing you can do is develop yourself and always, you know, keep your head up and look out, right? And so sure enough, sometime in the future, there was an opening at her firm, but it was mostly for, you know, an associate, I think, who had some kind of experience, right? Because when you take on an articling student, it is a huge commitment, right? Because sure, they do billable work and they make some money, but a lot of the times probably get written off because of inefficiency and you're still taking the time out to train them, to coach them through a file, fix their mistakes. So if a senior associate or partner could have spent one hour doing the work themselves, now they've probably spent four hours because they have an article student on board, right? So it is a time commitment. Um, it is an expense. And so that's why I can understand, especially why smaller firms want to take on um, associates, right? Because taking on an article position, it's, it is a commitment. And I really respect lawyers who do take on students because it is a lot of work. It's difficult to really good principle, right? Um, I said to Aaron, I said, um, you know, just because you haven't worked in um, family law, you're just you're an articling student, doesn't mean that you can't, you know, do your best to learn more about it, right? You can still do CLE courses. You can still go to, you know, events and stuff like that. 
and show that you're committed to learning about your practice area and developing as a professional in this area, right? And even though you are looking to article and start from start from scratch, you're putting the effort in, right? And that worked for her, right? And so um, she ended up getting the position and, um, you know, getting called to the bar, working with um, Bill Family Law. And it's been really good to see her really mesh well in that environment um, and to practice with a lawyer who is really good at what she does. And I like her approach. So it's, um, you know, I'm glad that she's able to find her fit there and that we were both able to then work in Chilliwack. And then after being out to working out here, we decided, why don't you just buy here and really settle down, right? And so we ended up buying a place here. And then my parents also decided to relocate here. The community is just so much better out here, right? I just like the way things are out here in Chilliwack, right? It's, it's a very different vibe from what we're used to. And we love it. And so, and then my sister and, and her um, husband also moved out here. So it was really neat, right? That we all kind of just realized, you know, how great it is to be out here in Chilliwack, right? And it's like definitely the hidden gem. I don't know why there's like that invisible wall between Abbotsford and Chilliwack. People think, oh, Abbotsford's, Abbotsford's fine, but Chilliwack's too far. It's, it's not very far. The highway's right there, right? And it's a pretty cool city. So that's when we decided, you know what? We're both here in Chilliwack, but we, you know, we both bought in. So we're really committed to the area, right? And... Yeah, I mean, we had uh, wedding plans as well. We wanted to go um, an elope in a different uh, country, but COVID kind of changed that a bit. But um, I mean, that's you know, it's not going to be forever, right? And sure enough, once things um, once things change with COVID, if if we're able to travel again, um, first thing we're going to do is you know go out there and um, you know have our have our wedding and do all that, right? So. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful to have someone like her on my team, on my side, right? She's uh, very supportive. Um, she really compliments her personality, um, cause she has a lot of the skills and attributes that I don't have, all the qualities I don't have that, um, you know, I value. Um, and she brings that to the table as well. And likewise for myself, right? Like we mesh really well in that way. And it's like the, it, it's good to have that balance, right? And she keeps me in check and obviously having my own business and the hours involved, it's really stressful, right? And that can take its toll in terms of relationships for sure, right? And just think, like, think about any business, right? We're going to business, you're going to do your best, but you have no idea what's going to happen. Maybe you'll get like that gold ticket client, great. Maybe you won't. Maybe you're going to struggle for years, right? But at the end of the day, that's going to impact your finances, your relationship. And you need to have a partner who can really understand that and be supportive, right? If it if it means that they're going to pay the bills for whoever know who knows how long until you can get set up and running, um, that to be fine with that. If it means dealing with a lot of things at home by themselves while you're working long hours, that to be okay with that. And at the same time, you have to make the effort on your part to try to do as much as you can to soften that for them, right? That because that is a burden as well. But you know, to have a partner who can be supportive through that and understand that, you know, that's huge. And, you know, I think that's really critical as well, you know, to any, you know, any, anybody who's an entrepreneur or business owner, right, is having that, you know, relationship that um, works with your business as well, right, um, and having that balance and having someone who gets it, because um, otherwise it can lead to a lot of problems, as you can imagine, right? So, but... I completely agree yeah. with you, because I go through that as well, especially right now with doing the podcast, law school, um, trying to keep a job and trying to maintain the house and make sure that everything's in order, you are taking on a huge responsibility, but you're doing it with like a long-term goal. And so you recognize that obviously you'd like to do as much work as you can now, build up the business to a certain point, but then you'd like to 
get more comfortable hours and be at a place where you can actually enjoy your life. And that's what you're grinding towards right now is this, these are the grinding years for you. And I recognize that with myself is these are the years where I don't get to have a regular schedule. I have to put in time from 8am to 8pm to try and set myself up to be more comfortable and finding that partner that is going to support you and understand when you've had a crazy day and you are just absolutely exhausted and you don't have any energy, but that that is all within the broader framework of working towards a long-term goal of both of you being absolutely comfortable and happy and recognizing when both of you have gone up against a big long day where the person yelled at you or miscommunicated or you had a bad experience at the grocery store, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. is that that person is there for you to listen and not to hound you to go and clean the room or do whatever it is that they're understanding that you are doing that for the family, for your community. And I think that that's amazing that you found someone that you click with in that way, because I don't think we hear about those types of stories in media, even talking to people, you don't hear about how strong their partner is and how supportive they are of their endeavor. And you just don't see that. You see the falling in love part, which is great, but it's the day after that actually is the most interesting because that's when they made your breakfast when you were running late and you were able to take that to work or whatever the circumstance is, they're able to lift you up when they don't have to, when they could just focus on their morning and their client. They're focused on you and trying to make sure you get out the door in a positive way. And so I'm so happy to hear that. When did you guys meet and how did that happen? What was the first encounter like? Oh, yeah, I can't even, uh, that was, it was, um, cause we, I mean, when people go into law school, right. Um, usually you're going to be, I mean, you're out of undergrad. Um, you probably had some kind of work experience. Maybe you're already in a relationship. Like you're, you know, usually mid twenties, right. Mid to late twenties, sometimes early thirties. That's you, that's your typical demographic for law school, right. Law students. So, um, you go in there, you, you probably already have a relationship, you've got plans and stuff, but it's a it's a really pivotal moment, right? And you learn more about yourself, you meet more people, and you know things change. And one of the things I've realized in um, in law school, especially in the first year, and especially if you're from out of town, which a lot of people when they go to you know, for example, to hear you, if you're not local to counties coming from out of town, or a lot of people in general for, for law school, right? They go somewhere else, right? Because you apply to a bunch of schools, you go to where you get into, or maybe going to your dream school, whatever it is. But oftentimes you're going somewhere else, right? And it's a really pivotal time because now you're in a, in a new city, right? And you're going to a new school, you're meeting new people, you're going to a new area, right? You're going to law and, you know, you, you develop as a person, you change as a person. And then um, it's a really pivotal kind of moment. And you find that a lot of relationships really change in law school, right? Where people find someone else or they realize that, you know what, hey, this person that I'm with right now, we're not compatible anymore, right? And, th- and things like that. So the first year of law school when everybody kind of meets, it's interesting because you're going through a lot of that in the background, right? And you get to meet a lot of people and, you know, it's it's one of those things because I, you know, I was already in a relationship at the time when I went to went to law school, right? And, you know, that uh, didn't work out. But, um, you know, I met Aaron, right? And we mostly clicked over humor, right? So I have a very weird sense of humor, right? Sometimes it's a bit dark. Sometimes it's a bit sarcastic. Sometimes nobody finds it funny, but she found it hilarious, right? She'd always find everything I said hilarious. And, you know, so that leads to, you know, you know, us spending obviously more time together, getting to know each other a bit more. And at the same time, it's, you know, entering into a relationship is, um, it's also a commitment, right? You're committing to being there for that person, making the time for them. And 
making sure you're emotionally available and, and ready and stuff like that. And when you have stress of law school, um, or in a lot of cases, people have relationships that are, you know, long distance, it's really tough to maintain. Maybe the relationships are falling apart. Um, and all this is kind of going on really juggling like several classes, right. And trying to find work after, right. And juggling student loans and it's, it's a lot of stress and pressure. So you want to kind of make sure, you know, you know, you know, you're in the right spot to enter into a relationship, right. And really put the effort in. Right. And so, um, you know, at a certain point, um, I realized, um, you know, I really want to, um, you know, be in a relationship with this person. You know, I really want to to be with them, right? And, um, yeah, and so, you know, things kind of just naturally progressed and, um, you know, he became official, right, while we're in law school. And uh, it, you know, and the more time we spent together, the more more time you want to spend with them. And before you know it, you're you moved in together. And then your daily routines are all synced up. And then you realize, well, I'm spending all day long with this person and it, I don't even notice it, right? And that's just kind of how it just progresses, right? But what brought us together initially was just that uh, that share for humor and, you know, similar interests, right? Where, you know, hey, look, both of us at the exact same time had a craving for egg muffin and we're behind each other in the drive-thru. And it happened so many times, like just small things like that, right? And so, yeah, we'd run into a lot of the same places because we had the exact same kind of habits. And then it's like, okay, well, obviously there's something more there, right? We're both kind of kooky in some ways. So that was, uh, yeah, no, I love her very much. She's she's awesome. That does sound awesome. You guys yeah. met each other in the drive-thru. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I went through something similar with Rebecca because um, the first time we met, we were at Cultus Lake. Yeah. And we were there with the same type of people, but we weren't there to see each other. We didn't know each other. And we bonded over discussing what happened to the Sham Wow guy uh, <laughs> because he was super famous. And then he was all of a sudden gone and nobody talks about Sham Wow anymore. Yeah and, yeah. and just interesting things like that, where it's off topic of what people normally say that, Hey, how are you doing? So when you can bond over a unique thing, it really does build a, a strong foundation. And so can we get a little bit more into your childhood and growing up? Because mm -hmm. I think that that is where, we need to focus a lot of different people go through different things when they're growing up and it shapes who they are today. And I think that you have a phenomenal story that I think people absolutely need to hear. Yeah, it's, um, it was definitely, yeah, definitely a struggle to get to this point. It was, um, so my parents are from Fiji and they came here separately, um, in about the seventies, right. Uh, they didn't meet until later on, but, um, so my mom, you know, from Fiji, the thing is when you go, we, a lot of countries out in the world, um, public public education is not K to 12. It's back then it was, I think, fourth grade. And so if you wanted to go beyond fourth grade, you had to pay, right? To pay money. And so for a lot of families, especially farming families, you can't afford to send all your kids to school. So maybe you can afford to send one or none at all. But the first people, the but what's, so back in that time, and I mean, you still see this today. The uh, people who get uh, the children get chosen to not go to school are usually daughters, right? And they're expected to um, pick up household duties um, with the goal of um, becoming a homemaker, which is a really tough job, but um, all at the same time very limiting, right? Obviously, right? Because just because they're your daughter doesn't mean they're any less capable, right? Or have any or the goals are worth less, right? But unfortunately, that's just the way things are in a lot of parts of the world, right? So. You know, that's what my mom had to go through um, as well. So, uh, and then my, for my dad, I mean, he went to high school here and um, 
but for him, so he worked in a bunch of labor jobs, right? He's always been naturally a more trades person, right? That's just what he loves to do. Um, so anyways, when he met my mom and I was born, um, he really um, wanted to, you know, be that great provider and to really create a future for, you know, for us, for his family, right? And so he would work. Um, and so he told my mom, you know, because my mom had a bunch of issues in terms of her neck and back. She had a couple of really bad slip and falls, just a bunch of just a bunch of things that led to her having a lot of pain in her body, right? That she's had to deal with her whole life, even to this day. And so my dad said, you know what? Um, stay at home with the, with the kids, um, and then I'll find a way to make things work, right? And so for him, that involved going to different factories and trying to find work, right? Starting out. And he ended up finding a job at a cabinet shop, right? And that's when he really they put in long hours to learn the trade. And he really excelled at cabinetry. He really excelled at woodworking. And people really noticed his talent and his passion for that, right? And at the same time, he was also working at a furniture company. Both full-time jobs. So he would um, start his first job at 7 a.m. The shift ends at 3.30. So he would um, skip his lunch break. And then I just hard to talk about sometimes because... He really struggled, but he would skip his lunch and then take the bus to his other job and work until midnight. And then sometimes if he missed the bus, he'd walk back home the whole way and he did this for 10 years. So, and what's really sad is there's a one moment keeps coming back to my mind where he fell asleep on one day on the job on top of a saw and lost his finger. But Based on how he fell, he could have easily died at that time. And I remember getting that call um, for us to go to the hospital. And, you know, my dad's there. He's missing his finger. It was just there next to him in a jar. And he lost his finger. And, you know, I asked him, like, what happened? And he's like, I'm just too exhausted. I fell asleep on the saw. And, I mean, what do you do, right? You get, um, there's WCB which, you know, covers some things and, you know, but it's not a whole lot, right? So um, he had no choice but to wrap up his finger and get back, to, get back to work, right? So didn't even get a chance to really fully heal or recover or really absorb what happened to him, and it's back to the grind. And on top of that, on weekends, he was building custom furniture and selling it, right? So he went through a lot of struggles, and it wasn't just the work side of it, it was the fact that, you know, he was really getting it from all sides, right? Um, people who would say that they're there to help would just try to find ways to exploit him and our family. People would try to take things from us. Landlords would always try to take advantage of us. At one point, they just kicked out all our stuff out for no reason at all, other than the fact that they just, they just don't want tenants anymore. And they didn't like the fact that, you know, I was a little boy and I was riding my bike in the driveway. And they didn't like that, right? They said, it's their driveway, stay off of it. We don't want your kids playing in our yard or playing in our driveway. And my dad's like, well, we're renting this place, right? And they said, well, tough. And they kicked all our stuff out. And they said, go live somewhere else. Obviously, it's illegal. But my dad's working all the time. What's he going to do? Are you really going to go and try to fight this and whatnot, right? So most of the time, what happens to people in the situation, they just take it. And they just go somewhere else, right? And they don't put up a fight. Which is why, to this day, a lot of landlord tenancy disputes really grind my gears. Because people get exploited, right? But, um, yeah, so anyways, he really struggled for a very, very long time. And he, yeah, really bore, he, he 
took on that whole burden and shielded away from the rest of his family, right? And he made sure, like, he would still come home and read books to me and play video games. Doesn't matter if late at night, early in the morning, he would always find a way, right? And he put all that effort in. And, I mean, looking back on that, I always tell my dad, like, how'd you do it? Like, that's monumental amount of effort and work ethic you need and just grit, right? Because a lot of people, when life um, gets to them in that way, they find it really tough to just continue on, right? And he was just like, well, you know, it's um, when you want to do something, you do it. And he's like, you know, you put your mind to it and you work hard and you don't need anyone else's help and support. You just need yourself, right? If you can't rely on anybody else, you can't trust them. Um, they're taking advantage of you. At the end of the day, you can always rely on yourself. So sometimes you just got to, you know, pull yourself up and just do the best you can. And you'll be surprised at what you can achieve. And that was his mentality. So that's what I picked up. But for me, um, as a result of him having to work all those hours, right? Um, a lot of times I was by myself. And especially growing up in some of the rougher parts of town, you have friends who are also going through a lot of things like poverty, racism, discrimination, neglect. And you get to meet them, hear their stories, and you kind of bond over it, right? About how, you know, life can be really hard sometimes. And you go to these schools, and they're often in also good areas. There's needles all over the playground. In elementary school, my friend and I got robbed multiple times with older kids by knife point. They pull a knife, take you into like a closet or the gym area, and then just take all your stuff. Sometimes even take your clothes, right? Take my shoes. And, you know, it makes me very upset because my parents worked hard for that, right? Take, sometimes even take your food, right? And it was definitely really crappy to go through, right? On top of the racism. Because when you're a kid and you're going through a lot of this stuff, your mind is shifting away from school. You're not really caring about that because you don't really see a future. And you're surrounded by people like your friends and they'll have similar kind of backgrounds, similar kind of things going on. It's really easy to lose hope. And it's really easy to not really see a future. And so you think about what's the point of school? And I see that a lot with lots of children who have troubles is they don't see the point of school. It's not that they're dumb. They just don't see the point. They don't have that confidence. They don't, they don't have that yet. But a lot of the times society writes them off. And I was written off many times over. So I've had teachers make all kinds of comments to me, other students. And but what hurt most of the teachers? Because I expected more from them, even when I was a kid. And I heard all kinds of comments that are very racially insensitive. Um, teachers flat out calling you dumb. I had teachers joke about the fact that they thought that I was dumb because of ESL. When I was born and raised here, English was my first language. But they assumed that I was just too stupid to really just, you know, even know English. Even though I spoke English perfectly, but they're just trying to find ways to uh, poke at me, right? And even, even teachers who would purposely deny me the ability to go to the bathroom. Other kids are fine, but me as the only, you know, student of color in the class, they'd always deny me. And then, you know, and e even when there was issues like this going on and no one to really talk to about it, if I complained, they would then tell my parents that I was out of line, that I was misbehaving. And they would then force them, so my dad had to come home from work early, lose his wage, to come deal with the stuff at the school with my mom. And that irritated me even more because now he's taking time off at work with something that's just a bunch of BS. And it was really unfair. And so, you know, when you're growing up like that, you feel very isolated. You feel like there's really not much hope. Um, you know what? And it's hard to even understand things like racism when you're a kid, right? Why is this happening? Why me? What's the reason behind it? What did I do?
and you can't really understand it. So what you do is just blame yourself. What if I did something wrong? What if I deserve this, right? Um, so you blame yourself. And does that can help you become a better student? No, right? You really don't care about, you don't have hope for that kind of stuff, right? So for me, you know, I was never really interested in um, learning much because all this other stuff in the background. And it wasn't until, I mean, there's, there's definitely a few events that kind of ignited that kind of spark in me to want to do more, right? And the first, I remember there was, I had this friend, his, this, um, this boy in my class, this is, yeah, wouldn't have been like grade one or two or something, but he was a good friend of mine. And we used to always hang out and play games and stuff. And then one day his dad said, um, listen, um, you can't hang out with Chanel because he's just a really dumb kid. And I don't want you to hang out with kids like that because you're going to become dumb yourself. And flat out told me that. And he's like, yeah, sorry, we can't hang out anymore because my dad said you're just too dumb. And that hurt. And I was just like, I'm your friend, right? And so anyways, um, my friend was like the math all-star, right? He was doing all the advanced math stuff. He's acing every quiz and all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna make it my mission to really master math, right? And so I went home. I studied, did whatever I could. Um, my dad got me like some kind of like, some kind of math, a video game kind of thing, right? Like, so I was interested in it, right? And so... I ended up becoming really good at math. And for the rest of the entire school year, I beat my friend in every math quiz, every math test, every math assignment, and I became number one. And then his dad called my parents and left a very angry voicemail calling me a bunch of names, saying that I was cheating in school, that I, you know, I was still a loser, blah, 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 and that he doesn't want anything to do with me, and he wants to keep his kid away from me. And I'm like, looking back as an adult, that's really pathetic, you know? But as a kid, I was like, I put my mind to something and I accomplished it. And it really irritated this guy, you know, but I, I felt victory. I felt like, you know, I accomplished something and I did it on my own. Right. And I really liked that feeling. And, you know, and it was a few other times like that, but it wasn't until about the seventh grade when, um, and keep in mind during this time, they would always put me into the, um, like the special learning classes for kids who are usually troubled or have difficulty learning. They put me into a lot of those classes, even though, so since that time in second grade, I was always an all-star at math, right? Once I learned the passion for it, I just kind of ran with it, right? But again, there was all, there was all kinds of special programs for kids who are really good at math. But when I would ask about them, they would always deny me. I was like, I have the best grades in math and you're getting, letting the other kids take this program and learn more and nurture their talents, but you're always denying me. Why is it just me? Right? And they never give me a reason. They just tell me to, you know, get lost or whatever it is. So I just dismiss you in very harsh ways. And, you know, but looking back, it's clear, you know, that there was a lot of instances where as a kid, where I saw it was an innocent um, comment, or maybe it's the way the world is, but it all came down to discrimination in the day, right? Discrimination is writing me off um, because of my upbringing, my background, the fact that, you know, I am the only person of color, right? In that classroom and the conceptions come with that, right? And dealing with those comments, dealing with that, um, people trying to put, knock down opportunities for you, right? And realizing that. And at some point, I realized that as a kid that no one's helping me and no one's going to help me. And that made me angry in a way, but also motivated me that, you know, I have no choice and but to really just believe in myself. And that's when my dad's words kind of hit home. And so from that point, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do my best to learn. I'm going to be so good at what I do, that you can't ignore me. And I'll make a statement. And 
I think that in, so in seventh grade is when I kind of had that mentality. And I think the teacher noticed that. And that teacher then gave me straight A's on that report card. And then that's when everybody in the class was like, what's going on? Did they make a mistake? Right? And that's when the parent says, well, he just worked harder than you. Right? And, you know, that was a very happy day. You know? And I was very happy with that teacher for um, going out of his way for me. Right? And really helping me. And that kind of instilled in me the confidence in myself that I don't need anybody's help or support. I don't care for it. Right? If I can just focus and put the effort in and ignore all the negativity, all the other nonsense. And if I can just focus and do my own thing and just be tough and work hard, there's no stopping me. And it was that mentality that got me through all of that, right? And since then, I've always been to the top of my classes and no matter what I did, right? And I really developed a passion for learning and education. Because when I was at university, I ran a tutoring business. And was I like the 4.0 student or whatever, all-star? No, I was definitely a really good student. But, you know, academically, I'm not like the number one. But the skill I did have um, in terms of what really helped me be really effective as a tutor was knowing how to build people, knowing how to coach them. Um, because of my experiences, right? Just because someone's struggling doesn't mean they're dumb. Doesn't mean that you have to write them off. It just means that maybe they need to be built up in some other way, maybe just a matter of confidence, maybe just a matter of they second guess themselves a lot, maybe just a matter of they need to look at things a little bit differently, but don't write them off. And so I had a lot of students over the years and I was, it was, my tutoring business did really well because people really, when they, when they worked with me, they wanted to keep working with me. And it got to the point where when I was in my third year of accounting, I had MBA students reaching out to all the province wanting help with learning accounting, finance, economics at the MBA level, right? And these are business professionals, you know, the directors, companies, VPs, and they reach out to me. And once they work with me and they realize what I bring to the table, they're extremely impressed. I've had students who, these are the all-stars, right? They head, they're at the head of their, these massive companies, massive organizations, they're doing their masters and they're really bright and they're even really good when it comes to the coursework but they just need a little extra, right? And I'm able to help them with that, right? And it's and, and it, it was really nice to have the word of mouth when, you know, someone who's a really high-ranking person in a big business reach out to people in the program and say, go see Chanel. He's a younger guy, but he's really good at what he does. And to get that vouch and to then have students who I can work with and build them and have build that confidence in them and watch them learn and develop, and do better than me even, that's extremely rewarding. And that was, it makes me feel very accomplished. I had one student, he um, came from India, he has two kids and a wife. Um, he really struggles with the language and he was in the professional program, like the accounting program that I was in as well. And he had an assignment due in a week. And if he failed that assignment, he was kicked out of the program, but he really needed to pass this program and get his designation um, so he could get promoted at work and provide for his family a bit better, right? Because you know, go wife and two kids in Vancouver, especially, right? Like it's, it's difficult, right? So I said to him, I said, okay, we have a lot to work on. First is English, not just learning English, but also business English, right? Learning how to, to read a case study, learning how to um, communicate in a business sense. That's uh, that's a totally different skill than just English. And on top of that, getting through the material 
making you comfortable with it, making you confident with it. Because it's not just a program we can just memorize and just get through. You have to really understand how to synthesize information, analyze it, come up with your own opinions on what's the best way to deal with this and defend it, right? So it's really comprehensive. And so I had a week to get him through this one assignment. And then after that assignment, we got two years left of the program. And I was like, we were, I was very dedicated to this guy. He reached out to me and says, I really, really need your help. Because people, people speak really highly about you. You're my guiding light. I'll do whatever you say. I really want to make this work. Can you help me? And I said, that's a lot of pressure to put on me. But if you're willing to put the work in, I'll be right there with you. But you got to be willing to put the work in. That's going to be a lot of work, a lot of long hours. It's going to be very tough. But if you believe in yourself and you can do it, I'll be there with you. And this guy did not disappoint. We were there sometimes going through material for 14 hours straight. SFU Surrey had a 24-hour campus back then. We were there sometimes until like 3 a.m. working on stuff. And he lived in Burnaby. And sometimes we'd actually go out there to Burnaby. I'd go out there all night, coffee shops, whatever it is, his house, go through the material, learn it, right? Whatever it takes. And he put in the effort and I was there to match it, right? And I even charged him for a lot of this, right? I just wanted this guy to succeed. And he never felt, he didn't fail that assignment. He passed it. He passed every assignment since, and he finished the program. And to see how he was when I first met him to how he was at the end, you know, this is someone who now learned English really well in a business sense. He could, he felt really confident in his ability. And he, you know, really impressed me. And to know that I was, you know, there to witness that and to be part of that was very rewarding, you know, but, you know, it's, it was really cool to be able to do that, especially with my own business. I'm working by myself. I have no one to reach out to. I'm just doing this stuff, you know, on my own, right? And to get these kinds of, you know, clients, students, to have them spread the word of mouth, to have them believe in my ability to that level and to accomplish and achieve, that was really rewarding for me, you know? And that gave me my, do- my first dose of, um, having my own service-based business, um, having client results, um, and feeling that sense of accomplishment that comes with it, right? And, you know, and I think that's extremely valuable to have, especially as a business owner, because every day you're working with staff, working with other people, right? And it's not just they just throw them in the cubicle, here, do your job. Everybody who, if they work for you, they're helping you with your business. They're helping you build your business. They're supporting your dream right? Treat them well, build them, coach them, guide them, have them become a better person than they were yesterday, right? And do the same for yourself, right? And if you can build that, if you can do that with your employees, you know, now you've got employees for life and they're going to be very happy that you're committed to their development as well, right? And it's something I think a lot of managers um, don't do. They don't know how to do, but it's when you have the ability to build people up around you, right? That's extremely valuable. And I love doing it. And that's my goal also with Alpine is to get people on board who are, you know, committed, they're loyal, and I'll put just as much effort into them, if not more, um, for them to develop. And, but it goes two ways, right? I told people, um, just because, you know, it's my business and I'm the lawyer doesn't mean that, you know, I'm some almighty being, whatever it is. Um, I'm always learning all the time. And if you're someone who's been involved in the law firm industry for so many years, you got lots of um, experience even if you're a paralegal assistant, whatever it is, you got great ideas, you got opinions, I want to know, right? Because you might have all the information that could really benefit me in the business. Um, and I want to know, right? I want to, to hear your opinions. I want your advice. 
Um, just because I'm the lawyer doesn't mean that oh, I'm too proud of myself, too much ego to ask you for what you think. That's not the case at all, right? I value your opinion. I want to know what you think. I want to know if you have opinions in terms of how I could do things better. What am I doing wrong, right? I want that feedback um, so I can in turn be a better lawyer, a better business person, right? When I worked at a different firm, I was always talking to the staff, asking them for what their opinion is on things, learning from them, sitting down with them, right? Because they're a huge source of, they have this wealth of information that no one really taps into, right? And so that's, so kind of like, my, it's interesting because all of that stemmed from my experiences in education as a child, right? And all the stuff I had to go through. And to overcome that and to put that same attitude on other people and watch them succeed is, that's amazing. Right. And so that's how I also want to run my business is, um, you know, to, to be that kind of leader, to be that kind of manager, right. That really invests in people and really builds them instead of trying to bring them down. And I've seen people like that, you know, they, you know, it's, it's really sad because you go through all these experiences, you kind of see how things should be done and you do your best to, to, to do that. Right. Um, but if people that come in, you know, they become partners at a law firm, let's say, right? Just because their billings are good. They probably have no ability to manage a business, to be a good manager, to be a good leader. They have none of those skills, but they can bring in the numbers, right? And maybe they bring in the numbers because other partners feed them work, right? If I can sit at a desk all day, turn out files and make a lot of money and become partner that way, great. That says nothing about your ability as a lawyer or as a business person, right? And I've seen people like that where, you know, they walk into partnership. I don't like the partnership model at all, but they walk into that role, they abuse staff, they belittle people, they have a big ego, they have lots of flaws, they'll never address them, they'll never, they don't care about their personal development, they probably never had, never had to really build or struggle, um, and they bring that to the workplace. And all it takes is one person like that, and it ruins the entire culture, the entire vibe, it causes turnover, it leaves a bad taste in, in your mouth working there, and I've seen that happen so many times. And that's why I've always, my mentality is if I bring somebody else on board with me as another lawyer, um, they must understand my business and the way I run things. And they must bring that attitude to the table. Because I don't want someone who just brings in a bunch of business, a bunch of money, um, but they can't treat people right. They can't build people up. And they have that toxic attitude, that the ego. I don't want them on board. I don't care how much money they bring to the table, right? I don't, I'm, I'm having none of it, right? Um, so I have those principles and I stand by them, but that's... Um, you know, I've seen that and I have, you know, I, I want no part of it. I'll never work for a firm or be with a firm that does that. And that's why when I, when I kind of saw, you know, how different firms practice in that area and what kind of people are out there, I said, you know what, instead of complaining about it, instead of seeing all these things done wrong and just putting up with it, I'm going to go out there and do it right. I'm going to go out there and do it my way. If I think, if I think my way is the right way, why not back it up and do it, right? Have your own firm. Go by your principles, do do things the way you think they should be done and stand by it and see what happens. And if people value it, great, then you succeed. If they don't value it or it's not that good of an idea, at least you tried, right? So that was my thing, right? Is why complain about it, go out there and do it, right? So, but again, that's why I tie it all back to the, you know, the, my past history and stuff is your experiences that get you to this point, that will determine how you practice as a lawyer, right? All of it. Students reach out to me sometimes to ask, what background should I have to get into law school? What experiences should I have? And I tell them it's not about that. What experiences do you already have? What's your story? What's your background? What do you bring to the table? 
that will influence how you practice, what area you practice in, who you work with, how you run your business, what kind of a person you will be in the future, right? What do you bring to the table already? And don't be shy about it, right? Be proud of it. But really understand yourself and know yourself, right? And um, and don't let anybody take that away from you, right? Because um, I've seen people like come in and they've got a great attitude, great skill set, but maybe people up top don't like that. They want something they can mold to do things their way and be like them. And they break them down. They belittle them. They, they try to, you know, get the, force them to be something they're not, right? And they become unhappy. They become miserable. And, but they put up with it, right? And I tell them, no, that's not right, right? But, you know, I'm not saying they should all go out there and start their own business. I mean, if they want to, that's great. But that's a whole new set of challenges. But, you know, uh, that's what, I think it's really important to know yourself and what you bring to the table and, you know, have a set of values and, and beliefs and principles and really stand by them. And that's why I have my own business, my own firm right? Because that allows me to do that, right? And to be the kind of lawyer I want to be, to practice what I want to practice, and to create the kind of environment that I want to create. But yeah, that's why when it comes to stuff like, you know, role models and stuff like that, um, I always say it's my dad, right? And my mom, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's and it's interesting too, because, you know, it's that, that, uh, that struggle and work ethic, it's, you need that to be successful no matter what you do, no matter, and, and people do it all the time, right? Just because, they don't necessarily have a lot of money. It doesn't mean they don't um, work hard enough. No, that's not the case at all, right? People work hard every day, long hours. They put whatever it takes in. And just because they don't have a lot of money to show for it, doesn't mean that they're lazy. doesn't mean that they're not accomplished. doesn't mean that they're not a good family person. No bearing, right? And I've seen that. And even to this day, I still see it where, you know, kids, families, they'll get written off because people make assumptions about them. But, you know, they don't understand what it's like to be there. And as someone who's been there, you know, I have that ability, right? So when I, that adds to my perspective, right? So when you're dealing with myself as a lawyer, um, you get someone who's got that experience, not just in the academic side, the business side, but also in the life experience side of things, right? Um, I can see things from different perspectives. I can understand things in that way. Um, and when people work, right, do, do work for me, they're not just a cost. Oh, I can replace you tomorrow for something cheaper. They're a person that I'm committed to. They're committed to me as well. I'm going to build them up the best that I can. They're relying on this job for stability to support their families. I'm not going to take that away from them, right? I'm going to create a place for them where they can grow and develop and be themselves and we can work together. And I would love to have staff that can say they've worked with me for 20, 30, 40 years and be proud of it. And that's what I want, right? So, and when I see some people don't have that background, maybe they come from a more privileged position, they don't care about any of that because they've never actually been in a position to understand or appreciate it, right? And I think that that humility and that sense of empathy and understanding, you know, it's, we need more of it. I absolutely <laughs> you know? agree. I cannot believe some of the things you've said and how much you've gone through and to take all of the things that you've gone through that can make you so jaded and so angry at the world and your dad was never fe- treated fairly, you weren't given a fair shake throughout most of your life and to turn around and to try and build something better out of those things and to look at it from a different perspective and say you want to offer opportunities and to help that person succeed when when you were in that circumstance the only person who helped you was you and you putting in the work and you could have easily looked at him and said 
well, I figured it out, so you go figure it out. But you didn't do that because you know how valuable it would have been to have someone there for you during those moments. And to go through all of those things alone and to try and sort out what's going on in the world is so difficult because you are being told by teachers that you're not enough and you're not doing the right things. And I went through that too, where you assume that they know more than you because they've lived longer. And that sometimes isn't the case. And you're put in a position where all you have to do is keep working. And that shows through that you went through hell and your parents went through hell to get you here. And you did not take advantage of the work they put in. You went and got a degree in um, accounting and law and you pushed yourself and you continued. You took something like math that you didn't feel confident in and you turned that around into being very knowledgeable on the subject and making your business based predicated on that. And these are things that people need to understand is that when you're placed way behind the start line and treated unfairly, that doesn't mean you're out of the game. It means that you have something to tell other people about and share with them what you've been through and set an example. And that's absolutely what you've done. You've set an example for so many people to say, well, yeah, this isn't working and this isn't working and this isn't working, but I still have to wake up tomorrow and put some sort of work in to organize my life the way I want it to be. And that's what makes you, that's why I'm so happy to have you on is because your dad's sacrifice, it needs to be recognized and appreciated as for what it was. And he, he didn't expect any praise from anybody during that time. And he certainly didn't expect years later that you'd be talking about this in this way. And that's mm -hmm. what I think is so important that people understand is that people are going through hell when they're in school, when they're from grades one to 12, they can be in hellish circumstances where they're at risk of losing their home. And when you're a kid, you know, those things like that's not above you because you're like seven years old, you know, what's going on and you just don't know what to do about it because you're a kid and to go through those circumstances and to want to stand up for people and protect them from what you went through is what a role model is. They lead by example and they try and prevent horrible things from happening. And that's absolutely what you're doing now by trying to set people up and answer the questions that they have that your parents would have loved to have had answered in the exact same circumstance is so important because you're right. The lack of access to legal information is so harsh on the people who really need it most. The people who are at risk of losing their home, they have no one to call and they don't know who to call. And they feel like if they do call, they're going to have to pay outlandish amounts of money for just a little bit of guidance and a little bit of support. And I'm just so grateful that we were able to talk about that. So no. the the next part that I want to talk about is just focused on where you want to see the business grow in terms of people, because you're absolutely right. You're looking for a very specific type of person who's willing to share their ideas. And a lot of businesses don't want that. They want you to fit into their mold. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's so unique because you're, again, you're building other people up and giving them the opportunity because if that person works with you and grows and starts their own thing, you like, I have no doubt that you would support them in the endeavor they want to take on because you're on your own endeavor. So what, what do you see the future of the next five years of Alpine being? Well, um, yeah, before I get to the point, I just wanted to go back and just say I also want to give full credit to my mom as well. Yeah. Because she was there with my dad every step of the way. And that's when I learned early on that if you're going to go out there and really try to do things, you really need a partner who's there to support you. And that's kind of when I saw that, I was like, yeah, you definitely need that, right? So definitely want to give her full credit as well. That's why, you know, I like the fact that they're out here. I get to at least be with them and, you know, be near them and get to appreciate them every day, yeah. right? Uh, but now in terms of the next five years for Alpine, so the goal is the goal is to basically 
get the get the real estate side of things really um hammered down like completely get the name out there as much as i can build it up as much as i can get as many conveyancers as many staff as i can to work on that piece and build it as much as i can right so um i really want to explode on that part of it because i think that there's a huge demand for a more modern legal service in an area especially at a more cost-effective price point in the entire Fraser Valley, right? I think it's a huge area of opportunity, and that's a good way to get my name out there, get more volume, more people know me than my brand. And then if I can also get really great staff people on board and really support them, be there for them, you know, and give them a nice stable place to call home. And, you know, that would be that would be the goal, right, is to, is to build that and to then expand to other areas. And if that involves bringing another lawyer or two on board, great. We'll see. It's really hard to find um, you know, associates out here, especially in Chilliwack, especially ones that want to partner up with a newer firm, right? Because, um, I mean, they have their own fears, right? But for me, if I do bring other people on board, they're also going to have to be very entrepreneurial because they would then understand um, how to build and, excuse me, run a business. And I know that they would put the work in, right? Um, so that's the goal. Build up the real estate side of things really well, um, expand in that way. And the hard part is what they call economies of scale. Right. So usually it's easiest to scale. Um, it, it, you get it's cheaper to run when you're small. Right. Because your costs are very low. Right. And you can sustain up to a certain point. But up to that point, you're going to need to then get if you need more staff, you need more space. You have to get a, a bigger building. Right. And you're going to have. And then with that comes more equipment, more overhead, et cetera. But you'll need that to sustain the next level of business. So that's usually the difficulty is managing the economies of scale. At a certain point, um, I'm going to have to move into a, more, a bigger space, get more staff, et cetera. But the goal is to, to build up to that point in a very cost-effective way, but at the same time, maximize what I can do now, right? So if I've got a space where it's myself and two people in a space, right? How can I do more work with that physical constraint? And the answer, which is very clear that no one is really doing in law, is remote working, right? And contract work. You'll see that more, I guess, in Vancouver, but not really out here. There's a lot of people out there who don't necessarily want a full-time job in, in whatever it is they do, right? Let's say conveyancing. Maybe they have kids at home they want to look after. Maybe they want to work only part-time. Maybe they want to work whenever they feel like and take on the odd contract, right? So my goal is to build up a network of people like that as well. And if I've got two people working for me in the office and they're maxed out, I've got a whole network of people that work remotely for me out there, right? And if there's anything we've learned during COVID is that it definitely is possible. The whole time people have been saying, oh, we don't do remote this and whatever. And, you know, but it's definitely doable. It's definitely possible. I just, it's just a matter of having the right systems in place, the right people, the right attitude towards it. And before you know it, you can run, you know, you have like a three-person office but you're really like a team of like eight, right? And you're working, you know, all all over the place and you're getting stuff done. And that's definitely very possible. So that gives me a ton of leverage because now I'm able to do a lot of volume um, and a lot of work with a vast network of people on my team, right? And with, and if, especially if you have people who work like that on a contract basis, like on a per job basis, that works great for business because I don't have to worry about their, you know, vacation time, medical leave and stuff like that. If they want to take on the file, they can take on the file. If they don't, they don't, right? But that makes it a lot more, you get a lot more flexibility in terms of your business in that sense. And and I think that it's, um, 
I think that's the way forward. I think that's what's going to happen eventually in law is that we're going to have networks of lawyers um, who do work together remotely, you know, to to achieve um, outcomes. Like I have a business lawyer that I work with. It's a friend of mine named Jack. He's um, he's a he's a he's a very great business lawyer, right? He has experience in the states. He went to an Ivy League school. Um, he worked at big firms in New York and California. He came came here to with his wife and kid. Um, settled down here. He opened his own firm in Vancouver, right? And he's probably, I can't remember how, how much experience he has, but he's definitely got more experience than me and doing some pretty high level business work. And so if I've got business files and depending on what's involved, sometimes you get files where it's kind of out of the norm for something you'd see in an everyday transaction, right? Um, we've got all these complicated, different kinds of agreements, um, international contracts, you know, more complicated share structures. I have someone like him on my team, right? And we can work together on files. And so from the client's point of view, um, they're dealing with me, Alpine, but they're really getting the value of two lawyers, right? With, you know, who contribute their experiences and emerge them together and they get all of that in one go, right? So that's, and that's really awesome because it's like when you're going to a firm, right? What, what's the advantage of having a bigger firm is you get that network, right? You get multiple lawyers, different areas, they can work together on it, right? But with this, with, with this model, you get the same thing multiple lawyers in different areas who work together. The difference is we're all remote and he's got his own business. I've got my own business. And the the cost to client is the same, if not less, because we don't bill for client told me about the file. I told you about the file. We both bill for that time. No, we get up to date. You know, we all get to, up, to, up to date together and then build a client for our respective contributions. And as a result, the client gets that benefit. We all benefit and it works. Right. And so I think that it, moving forward in the future, we're going to see a lot more of that where it's not so much about we're a big law firm come to us for everything. I mean, you're still going to have the mega firms, right? Because their clients need that. Right. And they definitely pay the price for it. Right. But you always have firms like that, the mega firms, because, you know, there's always massive clients who need that kind of service. Right. But for when you're dealing with, um, you know, more smaller business clients, medium sized businesses, um, there's definitely potential there to have networks of lawyers work together on files um, and in a way that is seamless for the client, um, it's convenient for the client. And, you know, it's, and if you're not ahead of the game in terms of seeing where, seeing how law is developing, you're going to be obsolete, right? Because technology moves really quickly, and especially with, you know, our generation, millennials or Generation Z or whatever, or Z, they're really quick to embrace technology and change. Whereas some of the older generation of lawyers, they're not really too keen on change, right? But with the way that we would have grown up, change is a constant and change is something you just learn to embrace and technology changes really fast. So if you don't practice in a very modern way, you risk becoming obsolete and then it's hard to play catch up, right? But if you want to be a leader in that in that way, you need to see where, where things are going. Um, and try to stay one step ahead of it, right? So that's what I'm trying to do as well is to try to build that remote network. So out of my small space, I can do a lot more. And like people working from home, for example, they work remotely, that's great for them because now whatever cost you would have spent to have a bigger office is shifted on to them. But for them, it's a benefit because they can work from home as well, right? So it makes a lot of business sense. Um, I can see why people don't want to do it though because sure, being in person, having that communication, build that relationship is definitely very valuable as well. But working remotely doesn't mean you can't have that. You just have to have, it comes down to mentality and how you approach it, right? You can still have that, but you have to really put the effort in and try to create that kind of culture, right? Which is more difficult 
but the reward is definitely there if you can pull it off, right? So that's my goal is I can still stay small in the, in the physical sense of the office space and stuff like that, but scale to a much higher level because I'm leveraging technology, I'm leveraging the remote, uh, the remote work. So and that was my plans before COVID. So when COVID came about and people are now wising up to the idea of, hey, we could work remotely and still make things happen. Um, home offices become more of a thing. And now is a great, so that presents an opportunity for me, right? Because now people are in that mindset. They want that, right? They've got a taste of it. They want it. And if I can offer it and nobody else really does, that gives me an advantage. Yeah. And now right? other law firms are paying for giant buildings that are absolutely empty because everybody's working from home and their overhead costs remain and yours were never existent in the first place. I yeah. did, I did. I don't know if you've heard of him, but his name's Naval Ravikant. Okay. Um, he is a angel investor slash philosopher slash a bunch of other things. But he basically said exactly what you said, which was that we are seeing a technological revolution slowly occurring. And he gave the example of traditional hotel, now Airbnb, um, taxi service, now becoming uh, Uber or Lyft. And you're seeing these moves. And one of the predictions he had was lawyers and moving towards contract work, where you hire the lawyer specifically for what you need them to do. And then they have connections. And if you need three lawyers, you bring three of the best together, and you have them work on one file, and then they go their separate ways and do whatever they wanted to do to begin with, or what their firm is based on. And so he predicted that I think his podcast came out like a year and a half ago. So you we're right on the curve of where this is going. You've just started up very recently and you're implementing these ideas. And I think that this is fascinating because this is right on the cusp of where law is going in the future. But in Chilliwack, I think you're the first to really embrace it and believe that this is the future and put your money where your mouth is. Because as much as other people may say remote working is a, is a good idea, they're hesitant to follow through because they haven't hired people the way you you plan to, which is you hire someone and they expect to be there from nine to five and then go home and not think about work or nine to seven, not think about work after. You're looking for people who are more passionate, who are interested in the work when it comes along and actually passionate about it when they get to take it on, which is completely different. So even the firms that you might be competing with who are working to work uh, towards remote working you're already ahead of them because you're hiring staff that would already be predisposed to be able to actually follow through from working from home. Because I don't know how many people I've heard, I'm working from home and I didn't start till like 9.30 and I'm supposed to start at 8.30. And it's like, they have a culture and a mindset of, I'm not going to put in my, I'm not going to put my best foot forward, but you're going to hire based on that. And so I'm so excited to see where you go with that. Can we move into a little bit of Chilliwack and can I get your thoughts on what brought you to Chilliwack specifically. And then if we can also talk about some small businesses that you're a really big fan of here that you've had experiences with and you can tell us a bit about them. Okay, so yeah, we had a bit of a list that we're looking for. Uh, the, a bit of a list, checklist of, play, of things that we look for in determining where we want to settle down, right? So um, affordability it comes down to it as well. Um, you know, I didn't like working um, in downtown Vancouver or I worked in Toronto as well, but the idea of having, you know, a small condo and working all the time and being the hustle bustle of the city and having to spend like at least half a million bucks for the privilege, it just wasn't something I was interested in, right? Your money goes a, a lot further out here, uh, but at the same time, you also have to look at the community, right? So out here in, in Chilliwack, it's very interesting because people are more community minded, I find. And I think that's really neat. And I, I like that because like, even look at all the Facebook groups, there's hundreds of them pretty much. Right. 
and people are talking to each other, helping each other out, right? Um, and then you see people like, you know, kids are playing in the street, right? In, in, in Surrey, you don't see that at all, right? Parents are always saying, come in, don't go outside. And kids are sitting home all day on their phone, just doing nothing, right? But people out here actually play in the streets and, you know, people talk to each other. Um, I go check the mail, you know, neighbor I've never met starts talking to me, right? Um, and it's it's that community vibe, right? And the other thing too is that also reflects in how the small business community is treated, right? Because out here, people are more interested in the smaller businesses, right? Because they understand this is not just a business, this is a family behind the scene, right? And when you're working with them, working with, you're supporting their family by supporting their business, right? And these are your neighbors, these are people that you know. Um, your kids probably go to school together. And you have that vibe. And I've, I've noticed that people are more likely to want to support small businesses, right? I have clients that come in and say, I'll say, well, so, you know, why did you choose my firm? I want to see what which, which of our marketing efforts are working, right? And they'll say, well, you're a newer business and you're a small business, so we want to support you, right? And that's that. That's it, right? And, you know, that's that's really cool, right? I like that. And it's, um, so having that community mindset to me is huge. And as well as like the, the views, the, the natural beauty out here in Chilliwack, um, you know, like all the greenery and just, it's just so nice. Even breathing in the air, drinking the water, like it's just so nice out here, right? And I really think it's a hidden gem. And, you know, it's like a lot of my friends are definitely quite a long ways away. And, you know, so it's really hard to really get to see them, um, you know, especially during COVID because a lot of my friends have young kids and stuff too, right? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we do still, do still stay in touch. And, you know, Aaron and I always talk about it. Like, yeah, the downside is, you know, we don't have as much of a social life out here, I guess, because of how far we are from, you know, our base. But we do love it here, right? And, you know, we're both busy with our work and our business. And, and we still have my, my family out here. Um, we always go back to Calgary to visit her family as well. Um, and we're really happy with that, right? So in terms of Chilliwack, it just checked off all the boxes. And now that we're here and living here, it just keeps getting better, right? And it's, um, yeah, I'm really happy we made that choice. And even my, uh, even my sister and, um, uh, my parents say the same thing that they just really love it out here. Right. And it's really cool. Like when they go down to like the nursery, they want to do some gardening and they talk to the owner of the nursery and they get to know them. Right. And they like that. And they're like, Oh, it's, it's really nice out here. Like, you know, I know this person, I know this person and they talk to me and they tell me about their family and stuff like that. And they like that. Right. They really do. Cause you don't really get that anywhere else in this day and age. Right. And, you know, it's, um, so yeah, that's, that, that's a summary of what I like about this city, right? And why we decided to settle down here because buying a house here is one thing, but having a business out here, um, and really setting up shop, that's a real commitment because I can't take my clients to move to Abbotsford or Langley, right? You're here, you're committed, right? If I go anywhere else, I'm starting from scratch all over again, right? So it's a real commitment to the, to the city. Um, well, bef before we move on, I think that it's important to also recognize that we're lucky to have you to choose to invest in our community and to yes. lay your roots here because that's a benefit to us, to me, absolutely, because I've, through this podcast and through our last meeting, I have learned a significant amount and gone through topics that I would have never thought of. And I get to benefit from your knowledge and your experience, and so do your clients, and so does our community, from you choosing to commit to this community. And so I really think that it's important that we keep in mind that people, we we are proud of Chilliwack, but we're proud of these qualities because they bring people in like yourself who invest, who bring a business, who builds things up, who help our community members get access to more affordable 
legal services and get those supports because that is something that I as a community member want. I want elderly people to be able to get their will done at an affordable cost with somebody who isn't looking to take advantage of them. I want someone like Anouk helping people address their family issues. I want I want these people here so I can recommend them and I can give good ideas because before I met you, I don't know where I would have sent someone to get legal services for their wills, for real estate, those types of questions. I wouldn't have that answer. And now I do. And that's through your choice to invest in our community and believe that this is the future. So I just think that you deserve a lot of credit for that decision as well. No, thanks, Aaron. Really generous. Um, I appreciate that. It's, uh, you know, and um, yeah, and that's one of those things where, you know, when you're part of the community, you also want to to, to give back and, and to show your support, right? And so I'm always trying to look for other businesses to support, right? Smaller businesses, um, especially get to know them, get to know the story and um, really support them, right? So th- there's been a, there's, there's so many great businesses out here that I've just met in my short time just living here, right? Um, I'll start with, I guess, um, you know, this fella, um, Johnny from Elevated Pizza. We go there for some uh, delicious pizzas, literally right on the corner from our place. And, you know, Great guy, got to know him and, and his story and, you know, great pizza too. And when he says it's ready in 30 minutes, it's literally ready in 30 minutes and it's awesome. And you call him up, um, you know, you, you know those customers as well. He's a really cool guy and, you know, love supporting his business as well. There's... Um, what do you get there? What's your favorite thing to get there? Honestly, like, I probably... I've, the focaccia bread's really good. I always get that as part of my order. And then I always get... Um, I switch the pizzas up all the time because yeah. like, they're all pretty, pretty good, right? So... Depending on my mood, I just order whatever, okay. right? But all the pizzas are pretty good. The vacation bed's really good. Um, and then I've got a huge thing of marinara dip at home just for this purpose, right? Um, and then um, you have, uh, there's uh, Nina. She runs a Luna float. I think it's a really cool business, the float spas. Um, that's really neat. So she has that. And I've been there a few times. Um, and it's a really good um, way to kind of sit down and just relax and it's if you haven't tried it before i have not yet yeah i'd recommend it yeah it's it's really neat and it's really cool that we have that out here in chilliwack right it's really neat and then we have how did sorry how does it work so you go in there like is it like a 30 minute thing what what is the process i think it's you have 60 minutes or 90 minutes you can choose between and it's uh it's basically all about sensory deprivation right so you enter into the the float spa and it's got uh, water and it's filled with tons of epsom salt right so you're floating right and so the whole thing is when you're in there, it's dark, it's quiet, um, you're floating away, you're essentially senseless. Like you have, there's there's no, uh, there's nothing to distract you. And if you can filter all that out, uh, all the distractions, stuff going in your mind, um, and really just be in the moment and experience the nothingness, um, it's very like freeing, it's very relaxing. And it's definitely very unique in terms of the experience that you get, right? And so it's... I think it's really valuable, especially for someone who's always like on the phone, on the, like, I'm always picking up my phone, right? Someone calls, I'm just like, okay, yeah, like you're always on edge and it's good to just have a a bit of time to just unwind and relax and just be completely free of distractions, right? It's like a form of meditation, it sounds like. Yeah, Is the water warm or cold? Um, It's kind of, well, I can't really remember, but it's 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 pretty neutral. Like you don't notice that, oh, this is too hot, this is too cold, it's just the right temperature, right? Mm -hmm. And it's purposely designed that way, right? And so to have something like that out here in Chilliwack, I think it's really neat because it's um, it's it's one of those businesses where um, it's um, people don't necessarily understand the benefit of it, yeah. right? Until they've done it. But how do you get them to actually do it in the first place, right? And that's kind of the hard part, I would imagine, right? 
But uh, Mina's a great person. If you haven't met already, I recommend touching base with her. But she's really cool, really easy to talk to. She runs her business and she does it really well. And I love to support her business and refer people her way as well. And um, if you haven't checked it out, I recommend. Uh, Where is it again? It's in Garrison, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's right there by the, um, like, there's the Envision there. There's like the, the waves, right? It's within that same complex, right? So you definitely check that out. And um, How much is it usually? I can't remember off the top of my head. Like a hundred dollars for one float, or you get something. Uh, you get discounts based. If you, I think you can buy packages and stuff like that. Yeah, you can get monthly subscriptions. But okay. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly because I just bought, I just bought multiple passes at once the last time I went, and I still got, I still got a couple. What made you do it in the first place? So the first time I actually went for a float was in Vancouver, okay. and it was in Gastown, and I worked there and said to try it out, and I liked it, right? But back then, you know, I was still kind of a student, right? I was like, well, I don't have the money to spend regularly, but I'd still go check it out. And then I went to one in Calgary and so I went a few times. And then I learned about um, the float spot here. Yeah. And because I said, well, I haven't been to one in a while. Do we have anything around here? And then that's when I found their space, right? And um, yeah, so I heard about it, but then I didn't actually get to meet Nina until I became part of like a networking group, right? And I met Nina actually. And then I was like, oh, so you own that business. Okay, that's cool. I always wanted to check that space out. And then I checked it out, right? So, but yeah, that reminds me of overdue for a float. So I'll have to book one of those pretty soon, right? But that's pretty neat to, to have, right? And then oh, there's just so many businesses come to mind. Like Tim McAlpine, for example, with the co-work space. Yeah. That is awesome. It's the best space I've seen. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of the co-work spaces I see are just older office spaces and what they do is they just put up walls add some locks to doors and say it's a co-work space it's not a co-work space it's just shared office space building but it's not nothing fancy about it it's very bare bones and i see a lot of those right but to have like an actual purpose-built co-working space that's really neat where you know like for example there's no key to get in the front door it's your phone right your phone is the key and you could access the building and everything's really modern. Everything's all like teched up, right? Thermostat's all like, uh, it's, all, it's all fancy stuff, right? And you've got the decor, the design, like even stuff like the, uh, like there is no, you know, like moldings on the floor. It's like that kick plate kind of thing. It, it looks really neat, but it's very functional. It's very cost effective. And just, I, I appreciate that in design. And I get to see that. And even clients notice clients. It's interesting when they enter the building, first thing they say is, I had no idea this place existed. And second of all, it's a really cool space. And they want to like look around and, and get to see more about it. They see certain design features, right? All these little quirky things. And they understand, they see it and they notice it. And that to me shows uh, a really strong attention to detail in design and, ex- and the cl- customer experience and all of that, right? It doesn't happen accidentally. So to see that, I think that's really neat. That something, you know, they thought about that, Tim and his team, and they put that into motion. That's really cool, right? And everyone's got their own office space, right? All kinds of office space sizes. Um, you got the studio in there. So you mentioned the podcast studio, right? Full on professional setup, right? All the best gear. Uh, they got the the studio space as well. Like all, all the cameras, TVs. Like I don't even know, like what any of the stuff does. Like I have no background in AV, but um, I can tell it's a really professional, high end setup, right? And they run events out of there. All kinds of events. All kinds of cool things going on, right? And it's um, it's really neat to be part of it, right? I'm working and then I hear, you know, some band is practicing out of the studio, right? Or they're shooting some kind of podcast or um, some kind of seminar going on on there, right? It's really cool. Yeah, and then the, you have the kitchen areas, you know, you get coffee, you get tea, you get um, your full service kind of kitchen. You can put your food in the fridge if you wanted to, heat it up. Like it's, 
it's all it's all shared. It's all really neat, right? It creates a community kind of feel to it, right? And like I said, different people, different businesses that work out of there. So you get all kinds of businesses. It's really neat to learn about people and businesses um, in, in, in that space because there's such diversity, right? And yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's like I said, the best space I've seen. And so when I saw that space and I was like, wow, we have this in Chilliwack. That's awesome. And location, the pricing, like everything works out, right? And I said, this is a no-brainer. And every time I see Tim, I tell him like, hey, good stuff with this space, right? My clients commented on it and, you know, great work, right? But um, yeah, no, so he, yeah, he's great. And he's been involved in supporting small businesses for a very long time, Yeah. right? With his activities out here. But yeah, he's, all, he's a really good person to know. And he's very um, passionate about education and small businesses, right? And those are two things I really, you know, get. So I have a lot of respect for him and appreciate what he's done out here. And oh, who else? There's a lot of family-owned restaurants out here, right? Um, like, I know there's a burger shack. They're trying to start their franchise. Yeah. they got really great burgers. It's right close to the home. I love that place. Yeah, that place has really phenomenal nice. burgers and phenomenal fries and great service. They're always just working in the back, trying trying their best to offer yeah. the best food. Well, it's really delicious. And they have E. Young uh, Family Restaurant in uh, downtown Chilliwack there. Great service, right? Family-run business. And every time I go there, um, you know, it, it, it makes me feel good to support their business, right? Just just really great. That's one of Anook's favorite spots as well, right? There's also Hallmark Promotion. So um, Laura runs that space. She did my um, the 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 phone wallet kind of thing, right? Like I'll bring it up here, right? I don't know if you can really see that really well, but you know, I wanted something that kind of stood out a bit more, right? In terms of color design, but also you know something like this, right? Because most of these phone wallets don't even have this, right? But you can use this to you know hold on to the phone. You can use it as a stand. Right, as more functionality, right? And when I talked to Laura, I said, "Listen, like I'm not just looking for like the basic stuff, right? I want something that offers a little bit more." And I'm really hard to please in that sense because I've done my own marketing ever since day one for not just this, this business, but everything I've done, right? Um, so I'm really picky, like I design my own pens, business cards, everything, right? Um, so I was like, I'm really picky when it comes to this stuff, um, and I need someone who kind of gets what I'm looking for, right? And so she threw a bunch of stuff together um, and we eventually found really great quality, great looking products. It really just made sense. And I was like, thank you. Right. So she worked hard to piece that together for me. And yeah, her office is Hallmark Promotion. So it's right behind the co-work space pretty much. Right. But yeah, they do a lot of really cool stuff out of there. Um, and yeah, when it comes to swag, like I said, if it's an umbrella, a toque, phone wallet, pen, whatever it is, it's it's your brand. It's People will wear it, they'll use it, and they'll think of your business, right? And it reflects on your business. So if you've got stuff that's low quality or it doesn't make sense or it's just, you know, I don't know, like a gimmick kind of thing, um, it reflects kind of poorly in your brand, right? So you want someone who understands what you're trying to do, right? And so she understood it um, and put that in motion. So that's great. Um, and then we have, um, there's another fella, uh, Steve Emmond. He's a home inspector out here. And I talked to him and... You know, he's a he's a really cool guy to know. He's helped me out and other things as well. Just give him a call. He's always there to help. But he's um he's really thorough in what he does and he loves what he does, right? And I've worked with my dad in the cabinet business for a long time. I've met all kinds of trades, right? And it's always disheartening to meet people who don't love what they do, right? My dad loves what he does. And he has people he knows who refers work to who also love what they do, right? But sometimes they're at a job site and because I worked in him for a long time, but um, people don't love what they do, 
and it shows in their work. Their sloppy work, nothing's on time, everything's off schedule, they hold up everybody else, and they just don't care, right? And it shows. And it's like, well, why are you doing this job, right? And, you know, but with, with Steve, he has a passion for it as a home inspector, right? And he really gets into it. He has the science behind it. He he explains everything inside and out. Um, and he's uh, he's a good person to know, right? So if I have clients who have need to get that kind of work done, I say, hey, you know, give this guy a call, right? But um, it was it was good to hear about his passion for it, right? And I had some issues with the car once. And um, we thought there might be like a monoxide leak from the exhaust or something, right? So he swung by, right? And got underneath the car, test everything. He used to be a mechanic, right? So he did all of that, you know, no cost, just help, helping someone out, right? And I appreciate that, right? And he went out of his way. So he's a great, great guy to know. And there's... Um, is there any real estate agents that you work with right now that really support what you're doing and how unique your approach is that we can we can talk about? There's there's a lot of really um, so when it comes to service based industries like you know working with realtors, mortgage brokers, they all have their edge, right? So you'll have, for example, some realtors, um, and you know they're going to work really well with a certain type of client, right? They have a different approach, they have a different kind of, different kind of background, and they'll have different strengths, right? So it's one of those things where there's no real, like, this is the best realtor of all time kind of thing, yeah. right? It's like everyone's got the strengths, everyone's got the weaknesses, and they all appeal to different people, right? You might send one client to one realtor and they say, you know what, um, or mortgage broker, they might say, you know what, um, I don't like their approach, right? And then it's, okay, well, try this other person, right? Uh, and they're all highly reviewed, highly rated people, right? And they might say, okay, well, I like this person's style more, right? So it's a matter of finding that fit for the client, um, and I think a lot of realtors and mortgage brokers will say the same thing is you're not going to please everybody, but when you find the clients that really fit with you, understand what you're trying to do, um, you work well with them. Yeah. That's right? what I liked about Brett was that he was not saying I serve, I will get every client in Chilliwack and I'll get all 80,000 people here. He was very clear that he has a very specific approach and a very specific mindset and perhaps a very specific clientele that he enjoys serving. Yeah. And I, I, this is one, uh, this one realtor who's starting out, um, his name's Tyler Billen. He's with uh, Rolla Page, but he uh, he started out and he was. Um, I remember the call. He uh, he wanted to learn more about what do lawyers and notaries do, right? And so he just gave me a cold call. I did a seminar at his brokerage, right? Um, so he gave me a cold call and said, "Hey, I saw that you left some marketing material here. I'm going to give you a call and learn more about what do you do, right? And why should I refer clients to you over somebody else? Or like, what what advantage would there be?" And what's your role? And it's kind of learning that kind of stuff, right? So I told them, okay, well, when you refer clients, um, you give them the names of lawyers and notaries, right? This is what our role is. This is what we do, right? And this is what I try to do differently. Um, and, you know, and this is my business. This is what I'm trying to, to get set up. Um, these are my competitive advantages. And so it's okay, cool. And so, you know, it, it became clear off the bat that this is someone who's very keen on learning. Right. Uh, excuse me. He's not afraid to ask the questions. It just wants to really just learn and dive into things. Right. And so he's okay. Sounds good. So he referred some clients to me. Um, and every time he's got a question, he gives me a call right away. Right. And I do my best to help him out. Right. Answer whatever questions he's got. Um, and we had a file where it was, um, uh, it turned out to be a first nation land leasehold property. Right. And, you know, I try not to take too many of those on because, you know, it's it's a bit more work in terms of uh, 
dropping things off. Um, each First Nation land registry is different, so each local band is different in terms of how they deal with um, those transactions. So for me right now, um, it can be a lot to take on, um, but it's an area I want to get into, obviously, a lot more. But for now, um, I'm trying to not get too much into that space and tie up more staff, right? But so you had a file like that, and I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of things we have to kind of discuss, right? And it's a different kind of transaction altogether. Um, and, you know, I could tell you really put the work in to learn as much as you could about it, right? And called me up. We talked about all the different ins and outs. What do I need? What's going on? And, you know, I explained it to him. And he was just like, yeah, he's like, I'm all about learning and I like the challenge. And, um, and yeah, and he, uh, you know, really took that on, right? And I like that. I like people who are tenacious. They're new, they're starting out, they're not lazy about it. They call up, they figure out the answers, they get it done, right? And I like that because I'm the same way, right? So when I see that in someone else, I'm like, you know what? I, I like that, right? I want to support that. So he's been uh, really impressive. He's referred me some files for sure. And he's, um, and it's the same thing as when you meet people like that, um, especially younger realtors, mortgage brokers, any professional in that kind of space, you can kind of, you know, tell which ones you're going to work better with, right? And so whenever I meet people like that, um, you know, it's, you want to support them and they support you and you build your business here together. Right. And that's the way it is. Cause otherwise I tell them like, you know, Hey, look, um, you want to work with someone who's going to be with here with you, with, for you and your clients for the years to come, not someone's going to retire soon. Um, who's not going to refer anything back to you. Um, cause they've already got their, their, um, network, you want someone's going to be there for you. Right. So if I have these people who are younger professionals like myself and we work together, support each other, uh, we get to build a business to get together, right? Um, and you're not going to get that um, trying to work with someone who's in a totally different kind of group, right? They're not going to support your business. They've got their own network, right? So you're not going to get anything back from them, right? Not even Christmas card, right? So what's why why bother, right? So I'm trying to build those connections, right, with the up and comers, and um, you know when I see someone doing good work like that, putting the work in, um, you know I do what I can to keep them in the back pocket and be there for them and build that relationship. Right. So, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a tough world out there for, especially in the real estate and, and uh, real term mortgage game, because there's many players and it's really competitive and it changes all the time. It's really fast paced technology. They're really quick, quick to embrace it um, and get the word out there. Right. Cause if you don't have clients, you don't have any money. Right. Um, and if you don't close a deal, you don't get paid. So the pressure is always there and you're always working. And so I can appreciate the struggles you have to go through um, to build clientele. Because if you're a new realtor, why would anybody pick you over anybody else? Right. It's tough. So it's, I appreciate how difficult it is in that, in that area. Right. And so that's why I always try to offer to support them. Right. Because even if you have a realtor or broker who's extremely successful, it didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen overnight. It took many years of grinding to get to that point um, and a lot of challenges, right? Because um, like I said, it's a pretty cutthroat industry, right? Um, and the mortgage side of things, I mean, there's quite a few, but to have um, worked with um, Jason, Jason Sadi, he's pretty well known, known out here, but um, I've had files with him where, um, like I always try to give clients credit, like not clients, but I try to give people credit for what they do to the client because sometimes the client doesn't know what their realtor broker had to struggle with to get to this point, right? And so I tell them like, hey, look, um, just so you know, for this deal to have worked, your realtor really went to bat for you. Like they really put the hard work in and, you know, 
you should really appreciate that, right? And same with the broker, right? So at a file where Jason really went um, above and beyond and told the client, like, hey, look, like, he really, really went out of his way to put this together, right? Like, he put the um, work in. And, you know, when you give that credit, clients then know what goes on in the background and they'll appreciate it a bit more, right? And it's important to, you know, give that credit, right? So, you know, realtors work with me, mortgage brokers who work with um, work with me, they get that, right? I support them. I support their business, right? And these are the ways I do that, right? If you go anywhere else, will they do the same? I don't know, right? I haven't heard anything, right? Like usually it's for high volume convincing, it's file comes in, file gets done, that's it. Talk to the client for 10 minutes, that's pretty much the game, right? Um, but it's it, to me, there's more potential there for providing that service to client and also providing more to your referral network, yeah. right? Realtors, mortgage workers, whoever it is, supporting their business as well. Well, and coming across right? as a real team where you're all, you're saying the good things they did and they're saying the good things you've done and it's cohesive where the person who's being served feels like, okay, Chanel was honest with me that this person did that, now I can go thank them. And you feel like you're part of a team. Like if I was buying a house and I had the opportunity to work with you and Jason, it would be like, wow, I really feel valued and that these are, people are being cohesive even when I'm not part of it and they're being upfront with each other and connecting on that level. That makes hypothetically me feel good that I'm a part of a team that's working so hard and so cohesively and there isn't that Chanel's just trying to beat the other person and and show that they made a mistake and show that Chanel's better than Jason. Like yeah. those moments can arise and it's clear that you don't want that. And that isn't something if you were to sit down with another like a notary that they would make clear is that we're going to give this person like that wouldn't be something you would say i'm going to give your broker credit for this role that they played you wouldn't go in with a consultation and have that conversation so it's awesome that we can have these conversations where those things do come up yeah and that's the goal is to create that seamless integrated experience for the client where you know your realtor works hard for you they're always available always mobile say with their mortgage broker and i think the lawyer should be the last step the last step but they're often like the kind of off to the side, right? It doesn't really integrate. But for me, it's to be that last piece, right? That's the seamless integration, right? Where you got a team working with you every step of the way to get this whole deal closed, right? To get you what you need. And that's what I'm trying to create is that kind of experience, right? So we work together as, as a team and the client feels great. They're part of the team. It's not like, oh, I'm working with my realtor, mortgage broker, an inspector. And now this lawyer is like some random side piece at the end where it's like, okay, now I've got to meet with them. It's not integrated. It feels kind of different, right? But it's to be seamless, right? To create that. So that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> that, that is awesome. Can you uh, just tell us anything else you want to know and then tell us how people can find you? Um, yeah, I mean, you can find me on, um, I've got a Facebook page. Um, that's, uh, I believe it's under Alpine, Alpine Lawyers. But if you search for my website, all the um, information should be on there. It should come up on Google as well. But I'm on Facebook. I'm not as active as it should be, mostly because I'm super busy. But I try to at least post some stuff on there once in a while. I've got my LinkedIn page, um, which I use for a lot of networking. Other than that, I need to definitely do more on the social media front. That's one of the things I want to do more of is how many lawyers or notaries do you know who actually do podcasts in this kind of space, right? We'll talk about real estate, whatever. Like I don't know anybody who does, right? I, I definitely think you are the next step to start a podcast because yeah. you, you're a very good speaker. Oh, thanks. Yeah, but that's that, that's the goal is to get more in, into that space. So once I get set up a bit more, um, have some staff so they can, they can help me with um, some of the workload, then I can then focus on getting my name out there in that way, right? 
Um, other than that, I mean, feel free to always just shoot me an email, right? On the website, hello at alpinelawyers.com. Like, I even chose an email address, hello, right? Yeah. Just because it sounds more inviting, yeah. right? People like engaging, right? So, you know, yeah. And then even my uh, business line, right, on my website, that's, um, so that actually forwards to a second line on my phone as well. So on my phone, I have two phone lines dedicated to that, right? So I get calls from personal line business, right? So I'm very easily reached in that sense. Um, clients text me all the time, you know, and it's that accessibility, right? Where if I'm out and about all the time, um, meeting clients at their houses, going to banks, doing all kinds of mobile services, they need to be reachable, right? So that's one of the ways, that's one of the things I offer is it's not just a phone sitting in the desk, some, on a desk somewhere where I'm not going to answer all day because I'm out and about. It's forwards right to my mobile phone, right? So I'm always reachable and accessible because um, you never know what kind of stuff comes up, right? And yeah, and like I said, if even if I, if anybody needs some kind of legal service, even if I don't offer that service, you know, feel free to reach out anyways. I can at least refer you to someone who I know does good work in the area. I can refer you to them or I can even, you know, just do what I can to at least help you out in some way, right? Like I, I try to get my name out there and just be as helpful as possible. And yeah, you know, and I, and I really appreciate what you're doing with the, with the podcast. I think that, um, like I said, I thought about podcasting beforehand and I'm just like, oh, you know, we could really use someone who can focus on all the great businesses we have out here, all the stories out here, but I don't have the experience in that kind of stuff, right? And it's it's one of those things where I was always like, yeah, it'd be great if someone did that. And then you come along and you've got your own take on it and you're really doing it. You've got the history of being here in Chilliwack. You've got your own stories and you've got the interest in people, interest in businesses, and you put that together, right? And you really work hard on it, right? And I, I see the effort you put in and, you know, it's... um I respect that work ethic and what you're trying to build, right? And that's, um, I want to support that, right? And so I really appreciate you um, shining that spotlight, you know, on Chilliwack and the great people we have out here, the great businesses we have out here. And yeah, just keep doing what you're doing and then whatever, however way I can help you out, um, let me know, right? And um, especially in terms of yourself as an aspiring lawyer as well, right? The skills that you have, very hard to come by, but very valuable, Right. And I also look forward to seeing you come out here in Chilliwack and, you know, be a successful practicing lawyer as well. Well, so. well the podcast <laughs> isn't possible without stories like yours to give it the depth that it needs. Because if I was just interviewing regular people who have none of that life experience, who have none of those stories, the podcast doesn't have the foundation that it needs. So I'm so grateful. I know that you don't usually share the stories you shared on um, on social media or stuff like that. So I'm truly honored that you were able to share those stories. I really hope that people got a lot out of this. I know I did. Um, we just did uh, over two and a half hours. So I'm so grateful to have taken your time and yep. I'm just so grateful to have had you on. Not a problem, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.